Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 2 The Battle of Moitura, Episode 4 Erchichtan Dagda On the Track of the Dagda. Tar der da blau, tar kor kethakor, tar sav, tar gal, viola krip, the bolgus boy. The oak of two meadows, the ripeness of four angles, come summer, come winter, mouths of harps and bags and pipes. And didn't that harp fly? Like a spring storm that scatters the blossom of apples, like an autumn wind that whips the waves into flowers of foam. Oh yes! That harp flew, its melodies bound and silent, locked within its oaken frame, until my hands could caress it into the tunes of true telling. The harp flew to my hands, and no man could stand in its way, no enemy keep it to himself. Under my fingers the harp sang its three tales. It sang of the shaping of mountains, Silver lakes and the enclosing of plains. It sang of a people and their crafting, of the bright jewels of Smithcraft, building, healing, and history. It sang of joy and justice and victory. But every tune must change, and the harp began its second tale. For every good judgment implies a false. Every praise word implies a satire. And the harp played a tale of loss, of famine, a time of dearth and darkness, when the mountains were thrown down and all lakes parched dry. Then came a time of battle in word and deed, and the keening of sadness was heard in the land. But every tune must change, and change, and change again, and now I play the tune of sleep, of rest, for joy is replete, and sadness complete, and all things wait in rightness, in justice, to seed, reseed, and sprout again. And in the waiting, the time between, I sing the song of my own story, of abundance, green growing and merriment. I sing the song of the overflowing fullness of my own belly, bag full of the meal of hospitality, of a playful girl and her abundant body and wicked wit. And before and beyond all, the woman her nine tresses flowing like the white waters between her white thighs. And I hear her speak the words that will set all time flowing once more, for now the over-brimming cup is set forth upon the plate. And in the lowing of time comes the heifer, leading the prosperity of the land behind her. The Glasgowan returns to me, to my land, to our people, and the time of waiting is over. This is a right judgment, and all will be well once more. Until the time we sing the next story, and the next, and the next. 
Is this not a story worth the telling? The Dagda's really ubiquitous throughout the whole story of my tour, isn't he? Just there. He is, yeah. He's always there. He's right there at the beginning, right there at the end. And he's got lots of other stories besides. He's very central to stories that are generally put in the mythological cycle. Um, and he appears in a number of the Dinhenicus poems as well. So we He's have, got a lot going on, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, we do have quite a lot from, from the Dagda. Yeah. Well, at the start of Moitura, and he is there, for, I think he's one of the first characters mentioned, not quite, but he's virtually one of, he is one of the four first mentioned. He is because he uh, is cited as owning one of the great four treasures, which, of course, is the cauldron, and no company ever went from it unsatisfied. It's almost to say he almost has ancestor status himself, but not quite. Not quite, because uh, what we've found is that a lot of the ancestor figures don't really have their own stories. And Dagda is sometimes named Dagda Mach Delvoith, as the mm. son of Delvoith. Mind you, so it's some of the Mauryans. Absolutely, Elitha. Bresha's uh, father is also Mach Delvoith. He's got the same, but that's another story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> also, he's one of the few, I think. Y- Indigenous characters, you cannot possibly. He's got almost perfect heritage, hasn't he? Oh well, yeah, Iliad, yeah. yeah. And and his his name doesn't really have cognates among the other sort of Celtic um, mythological cycles, and uh, it's he's got this curiosity of always being called the Dagda. Mm-hmm. He's always got in Dagda, and so. It it has a slightly different character to many mm. of the other. People oh, we'll be that talking we about his name. I get well best. Oh, yes. we'll get onto that later on. Yeah, definitely. Now he has this club, doesn't he? He is, uh, or he does rather. Um, now, club in certain circumstances could be seen as a euphemism. Um, beca- okay. Yes. Yes. Well hung. <laughs> yeah. So much so that it occasionally drags along the ground. We'll come to that later as well, I think. <laughs> yes. But again, it, it leaves marks in the landscape. Which is say, we we started to prepare this from yesterday. We both even started dreaming about it. I know. <laughs> yeah, we better shut up about that one. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, less anyway. said soon as mended. Um, yes, yeah, so his his uh, there's talk of, you know, the track of the Dagda's club as a feature in the landscape, which might refer to some of the eskers and drumlins that we get up yeah, this part he of the has, country. It's like his club is supposed to mark out boundaries, yes. isn't it? This, uh, uh, we'll talk more about the club, I bet, later on as yeah. well. But uh, it's, it's, it's a boundary mark, almost as though all the marks in the country, the drumlins, the boundaries, old megalithic sites, could yeah. have been made by the Dagda's Club. A bit yeah. like a sort of rainbow serpent from mm. the Australian yeah. Aboriginal stories. Yeah. Uh, but he never, you know, he never really wields a sword. It's always the club, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yes, and, and even then, you know, we don't get descriptions of him actually, you know, twatting anyone with the club, for want of a better term. Not um, that I can find at No, all. no. I mean, there's one late medieval story that talks about how the Dagda got his club. and in staff in that case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in the getting of it, he, he uses it to kill people, but then immediately then he brings, brings them, them back to life. To life. Yeah. So even if the doctor kills people... says it would be a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> e- even if he does, you know, actually perpetrate violence, he'll undo it again yeah. afterwards. So he's not a warrior figure. In not that at sense. all. And uh, in fact, he isn't mentioned in the first Battle of Moitura at No, all. no. Doesn't come into that uh, when Nuadu loses his hand, they're fighting the Fiabolic. Mm. No, he's not mentioned at all in mm. that, is he? No, he's not. And, uh, well, even though our text only gives that the most cursory of, of descriptions of the first battle, but even in other tellings of it, he's not one of the great not heroes of, the of battle. Not one of the perpetrated hero traits. He doesn't have any role in it. No, no. 
There's a lot of separate stories for the Dagda in Moitura. It's almost as though he has his own track through the through the the, the story. Yeah, his uh, own path. Yeah, very often there'll be an episode where the Dagda kind of goes off and does his own thing. You can almost follow his story through it, yeah. just being separate in some way. Yeah, or parallel. Parallel is a yeah, better word. Yeah. Mind you, at the beginning, of course, you've got the first thing you really notice him getting on with is, um, oh yeah, the building he's, he, well he always acts as a builder doesn't yeah he? yeah and he he builds brescia's fortress now of course just to reprise the story you've got uh once Noda loses his arm he can't be king mm. and so they have to look around for a new king mm. and they go look at you know, all the women go oh let's have brescia he's so pretty mm. and they all have brescia and uh in fact his mother goes, oh, well, if you're going to be king, I'd better give you some land. Yes, and then and the Dagdo builds a fortress on it. He which... doesn't seem to have any problems with that. No, and that seems to be, you know, his his expected role. And uh, this is where we get some of that ideas of the, the Dagda's club is sort of makes great earthworks or, you know, leaves tracks, visible tracks in the land. He tends to sort of shift earth around. Like I do a, get the like feeling that people felt that the all the megalithic sites... Mm. You know, all these great earthworks. Yes, could have been. Could have been made with the Dagda's Club. Exactly. And yeah. they often built in the same places, the forts and so yes, forth. So yeah. they were often, you find, they're built in the same sites as the megalithic sites. Exactly. Using yes. earlier earthworks. Yeah. So it's like going, well, we didn't build them. Yeah, yeah. So that the Dagda's was... Club built them. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely a builder. Yeah. But then, of course, Bresch starts to, it may not be his fault, but mm. he may be forced yes. by the Fomora. You know, this mm. is now a time when the Fomora are putting tax on the people. People, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And again, it might simply be a time of dearth, but what what we next hear from the Dagda is that he is unhappy at his work. It's not that he's sort of being forced to do the building, it's that his the conditions are wrong. Mm -hmm. He's not being properly paid for the work that he's doing. And he's doing. not getting enough food. He's not getting enough food. And this is where we meet the character of Creedence. And this is where we get this really great story. Oh, it's a great one. And what happens when you don't feed the Dagda? Exactly. <laughs> It's a bit like Big Gremlins, man, isn't it? Big belly, yeah. and if you don't feed him, you're in trouble. Exactly. Go on, tell us the story. Well, uh, one one of the things that makes the dad unhappy at his work is that there is a, someone who's described as idle and blind. Now, it's a bit tough, that, isn't it? Well, Coming from someone who has a vision impairment. Yeah, but the thing is, other commentators have gone, oh yes, idle and blind, of course those things go together. But no, they don't. They've been, <laughs> they've been separately named. You know, he's blind and he's idle. You know, um, we're not worried about him being blind, we are worried about him being idle. Exactly. So he's basically hanging around while the dad does trying to get, you know, his food at the end of a working day. And he works very hard. He does. And he's um, got a big belly to fill. Exactly. And um, Creedon Vale... He basically, he threatens to satirise the Dagda unless the Dagda gives him the two best bits, the two-thirds of his meal. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important to note that um, Creedon Vale is given as, although he's called a satirist, um, what he's threatening is illegal satire. He's bad-mouthing. He's bad-mouthing. And even the, his name, Creedenvale, uh, there's a bit of a gloss in the text that says that he was called this because he had a mouth that grew out of his chest. Because Bale is mouth and Creed is the heart. But more literally, Creedenvale should be heart in mouth. Mm -hmm. And it almost you almost get this sense of someone who just says 
what they feel without thinking about the consequences. And so it's just slander. Exactly. So it ju- mm. it's just slander, not legal satire. Mm. Because a legal satire, a just satire, is a process whereby a poet has been wronged. Um, they basically tell the person who's wronged them, you know, you have committed this offence against me. Mm-hmm. And unless you make that offence right, I'll start to write a satire about you. They give them plenty of time to put it right. Exactly. They? they then, you know, so that's the first stage is giving notice. You know, it's like serving someone with a summons. They then have a period, I think it's 10 days, but I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly, but they have a set period of time in which they can right the wrong mm-hmm. and then the satire won't be written. But if they haven't done it after this first period of time, then the poet starts to compose the satire. Mm-hmm. And the satire will, will basically make public what the other person has done wrong. And this is very serious. It is incredibly serious. But even then, the other person still has a chance Mm -hmm. to make recompense, presumably with a bit of interest for Mm. damages. So they still have a chance to make it right. And if after that period of time they haven't, then the satire is made public. Mm -hmm. So it's a very strictly governed legal process, Mm -hmm. which is a legal satire, which is what Carbra does on Brecht to end his sovereignty and of course if you if if a king cannot endure endure a satire can he no it's absolutely that's the that's they, the end of his kingship and yeah. it ruins anyone else just is ruined exactly can you a poet do um compose a satire on behalf of someone else um legally it, legally it is possible to do so against another tooth Okay. Um, you know, so that it, because there's very little because you've got the king right at the top. So of you can the get your tree. poet to yeah. write a satire about someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So it's if not just poets a... who had this big advantage. It's a well, legal process. It's not an advantage. It's simply that if someone else, if a farmer mm. um, had been uh, offended against, he would go and uh, distrain someone at their cattle. Mm-hmm. He would basically go and take their cattle, keep them in a pen, and say, unless you make this right. You know, you you will forfeit these. Mm-hmm. So, it, and that's known as the process of distraint. So, I mean, we could talk about this. For, maybe you, we ought to. There will be. I'll I'll put up an article about satire because it's satire. quite. I find it absolutely fascinating. It but is. to get back to the story. Yeah. He uh, he's pinched. He's threatened to make a satire. Yeah. He's pinched a dagda's most of the dagda's food. Exactly. Leaving the dagda starving. Yeah. So that he he's then very very grumpy and but, not really in a position to. The dagda seems to have this wonderful way of using this negative situation. He does, and it's largely thanks to uh, the intervention of his son, Oingasog. Yeah, and Makog. Yeah, who the young son. Um, and this is the only appearance that we have of Oingas in this yes, saga. Hey, Dad, I've got a great <laughs> idea. Exactly. Look, just when he pinches your food, just get. Uh, two pieces of gold mm. and shove them in the best bits of food. Well, the, it's that because literally what Creedon Vale asks for are the, the two best. best bits. So if you put gold into two of the slabs of meat or whatever, those they will be become the best, bits. the best bits. And when he eats them, it'll kill him. Exactly. Because gold's not very good for you. No. <laughs> and the doctor goes, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. And it might actually kill two birds with one stone. Absolutely. Hmm. Yes. Because, of course, as things work out, um, the Dagda has given the two best bits to Creedon Vale. And Creedon Vale goes, nom, 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 and dies. <laughs> yes, he's dead. Then Bresh, who is in the position of king and therefore Chief Judge. must mm. give a, a just Judgment. ruling, yeah, uh, he's, he 
are judges that the doctor has Guilty committed murder. murder. You kill Creepenvale. Yes. And the judgment and and, and, and the doctor goes, wait a minute. Not I exactly. know moment, Peter. Yes. And says, no, not exactly. You see, it was yeah. like this. Yes. He asked for the two best bits. So and I, I gave, gave him, him my the two best, best bits of gold. And he ate them. Silly man. And if you open up his belly, you will find this to be true. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, they do, which means that the doctor is vindicated and, more importantly, that Bresh has now given a false judgment. And can't be king. Exactly. It's brilliant. That. Yes, it is. It's it's a lovely bit of sophistry, a little bit of trickery. And typical of the doctor. Absolutely. He uses words as weapons. Yes, yes. But also... He knows what the right judgment mm. would be in any situation. Yes, that's part of his name, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. And so always, he cannot give. Any judgment mm. I give mm. is right. Exactly. And sometimes he uses that for slightly ulterior motives. <laughs> and he has the power to use this way of sort of changing the game. Yeah, yeah. I think it's brilliant. Oh, he's wonderful. Of course, Mako, son of the Dagda, he had a really unusual start in life, didn't he? It's all to do with the same kind of semantic trickery. Well, that and a great deal of sort of timey-wimey, spacey-wacey, magic-y stuff he was. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was... Yeah, I mean, you know, the birth of Angus. Yes, yeah. Now, this, this comes into the beginning of uh, another convoluted and complicated saga, which is Tuchfark Aden at the wooing of Aideen, yeah. which I know we've referred to before. Um, and we would have referred to this particularly when we were looking at Eslu in Tales Yes, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, the Dagda really fancies Eslu, uh, a.k.a. Bowen, the Bowen yeah. River, but she's married to Elkvar. Yeah. And uh, he's a very powerful and, you know, jealous person. Um. Yeah, and so uh, Bowen, uh, Bowen goes. Mm -hmm. She says, "I, I would, I, would. I, I definitely would, <laughs> except when my husband gets <laughs> home, he's gonna bloody kill us." Um, so what the doctor does is he sends Elkvar off on an errand. Interestingly, to Bresh McAllison, it says in the story. That's right. He sends him to Bresh. Yeah. So he sends them off to Bresh, and he says that what he'll do is keep. Elkvar in a state where he doesn't get hungry, he doesn't get thirsty, he doesn't get tired. And he'll think he's only been away for 24 hours, mm -hmm. but in fact he will have been away for nine months. <laughs> so this gives the doctor... It? it is, rather. So this gives the doctor and Bowen plenty of time, both to satisfy their desires... Um, and to bring and to and she birth the child. Exactly. <laughs> deal with the consequences. You know, it's sensible to, to allow for all this. Um, and so the Angus is born after those nine months. That's how he gets his name, isn't he? It's how he gets uh, the Makog bit, mm. the young son. Young is the son who was born in a single day. day. Yeah. And he gets the Oingus bit, which we, it comes into one of the poems on Bowen from the Metrical, Metrical, Metrical Dinchenicus, um, where she says to the Dagda, you know, to lie with you would be my one desire, Oingus. Ah, right. My one desire. So here we have this child who is the one desire. Born in one day. Son. Yeah, exactly. And of course, even though he has come to the birth, he then kind of has to be hidden. Yeah. And he's sent off into fostering. Yeah. So it's really strange. Well, it's kind of morally a little well, off, but the doctor doesn't seem to bother too much about no, it. No, it's still a right judgment. Exactly, yes. And this this is what he does. You know, is because this... he 
it's not that he decides what's right or wrong, but that he has the power of knowing what the right consequences will be. Yeah, and he can bend language to his will. Oh, yeah. And definitely change space and time. Absolutely. Space and time. Yeah, yeah. Not space and time. I don't know. What, well, space is the modern Irish for interest, so, yeah. <laughs> All right, that as well. Yeah. Um, there's a further story. You mentioned uh, Angus, of course, couldn't stay with Bowen at mm, this point. Mm. You know, it would be rather awkward. Yes, yes. Who's this? Well, um, <laughs> well someone dropped it off. Yeah, you know. just... <laughs> I don't know, Arian Rock manages that. Yeah. But, um, you know, Angus, so Angus gets fostered with Miver. Yes. And uh, in Brilef. Yeah. Now, that's a place I know why, why because that's Just in Longford road, and yes. uh, it's the big Longford story. Yeah, you know, that's Arda Hill. Hill. It's one of the best of the stories oh, yes. that takes place in Longford and I had to turn that into a calendar once and it's a very complicated story. Yep. But to get back to it, Angus was fostered with Mither and loads of other children. Exactly, yes. You know, all I, I, his sons, his foster sons. I think there and, was 150 of them And they're all playing games, just like yeah. the Hollanders outside. They yes. obviously had football pitches outside. The... Hurling pitches, thank you very much. Oh, all right, yeah. Remember where you are. Yeah, <laughs> hurling pitches. Well, games, I meant to say games pitches. Yes, yes. But it's like they're all playing hurling in yeah. other games. And anyway, well... He sort of gets bullied, you know, mm. he's the boy who gets bullied at school, but it wasn't school, but you know what I mean. Mm. And they all tease him because uh, he won't talk to one of them and one of them says, oh, no, you're... He, he tries to say, oh, you're the son of a slave to one of them and the mm. other boy says, well, at least I know who my mother and father yeah. is. You don't. Yeah. He's what? Because, of course, he... He thinks he's... He thinks he's Mither's, Mither's son. natural son, yes. So... so he goes to Mither and goes, are you my daddy? And Mither says, well, actually, No. no. <laughs> No, I better explain. And yeah. now you're getting a big boy, I'll tell you who your mum and dad are. Yeah. So he explains to him and takes him off to meet his father. To meet and, the Dagda, yes. And the Dagda says, yes, you are my father. I, I, you are <laughs> I my am son. your I father. I am your father. <laughs> but unlike Darth Vader, of course, what is proper for a father to do is to give his son land, his yeah, own land, yeah. um, which Angus asks for. And the doctor says, yeah, but the land I want to give you is currently occupied by someone else. Yes. <laughs> Guess who? It's Elkvar. So Eslew's uh, slash Bowen's husband back at Brune the Boyne. It's really a bit cheeky, isn't well, it? It's again. It's the, the the notion is that the doctor has ultimate rights over yeah, all yeah. the lands, you know. Yeah. But he has to do it in such a way that no one is left behind, mm -hmm. you know. But he gives Oingus. This is another fantastic bit of trickery, sort of trickery, semantic space and trickery, time, yeah. semantics, and so on. What he says to Oingus uh, is to go to the brew to mm -hmm. Newgrange at Sowen. Mm. And Samhain is designated as Halloween. And it's a holiday. Yeah. And it must be a peaceful time. Exactly. It's designated as a time where nobody carries weapons. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of interesting considering the Battle of Mature itself is said to happen on a Samhain. Yeah, but we'll come to that. We'll it's come a to symbolic that. thing. Yeah, exactly. In that sense. Exactly. Um, so what Angus is to do is to bring weapons in to the Bro and threaten Elkvar um, to, to kill him unless he lets... Oingus be king there for a day and a night. Just for a day and a night. Just for a day and a night. But the thing is that the doctor makes it clear that it would not be right for Oingus to actually harm Elkvar. Mm -hmm. That what he has to do is to threaten. You know, it still sounds morally ambiguous. It does, of course. And again, it's slightly pedantic. Mm. You know, you go in and you threaten that you will kill him unless he gives you the kingship for a day and a night. But you mustn't actually hurt him. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it is a bit of a... Yeah, it's it's... 
that kind of trickery. So Angus does that and Elkbert says, okay, okay, you know, no one has, it must, it's important no one is hurt on Samhain. So you can be king here for a day and a night. Mm-hmm. And so then when Elkbert comes back after a day, he keeps on going away for a day. And when he comes back, everything's changed. Poor guy. Um, so, <laughs> they got it into it. I know. I know. They yeah, really have. They really do. So when, when they come back, when he comes back to the brew after the day and the night, he, and he expects to get his yeah, seat back, get yeah. his land back. And Oinga said, well, no, actually, you said I could be king for day and, and night. night. And, and as it is said, all of time is made up of days and nights. So I've got the lot. I've got it forever. <laughs> and now this again is what the Dagda foresaw, that then Elkvar would come to him, the Dagda, yeah, he gives him some to make a ruling. good land, Exactly. So he decides that Elkvar will have a different place, you know, that is Which just... Which actually Elkvar's quite happy with. Yeah, and it neighbours onto Brunaboyna as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the next hill over, basically. But it's not this ancient site. Exactly, that it's important that Oingus goes well, back to the mo- back to the womb. Brune mm. the Boyne is, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. one interpretation is the womb of Bowen. So that's what makes it important that there is a certain there. symbolism to there the is, story. But absolutely. this is not actually the story we're telling. No, we're talking about the way that the Dagda and Oingus will help each other out, use the literal nature of words. To tell each other what to do, give yeah. each other advice. No, it's, it's fascinating. But, but it fact, always has to be right. It always has yeah. to be a right judgment. Yeah, it has to be, the puns have to be in the right place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Moitura. Yes. You see, Angus has some more advice for his father, doesn't he? Yeah. And another trick up his sleeve. And this is a really important one. Yeah, th- this is kind of the most important bit of all in yeah, you many don't realise it till the end of exactly, the story yeah. but this is actually remember this yeah. this, this, ding, this ding, will ding, be ding, important ding, later the most important bit of the story yes <laughs> that, as well as going as, uh, suggesting to the Dagda how he can get rid of Creathen Vale and thereby make Bresh give a false judgement he also says that when Bresh offers compensation to the Dagda as he must he, which he must do because he made a false judgement and also just as payment for the work that he's done mm-hmm. that all the Dagda should ask for is one particular black spirited heifer mm-hmm. one particular not heifer not a black spirited heifer no a black spirited, comma black yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly that the, this he must specifically ask for this and not enough Bresh goes you're joking exactly he said I that thought you one. would have asked for much more oh come on you can have that one yeah and uh, that one, we're not going to say any more than that. I don't mm. want to say any more because it, it comes into the story yeah. later. But that that is important. Yeah. This is an important heifer. The Dagda now has it by rights. Yeah. But he doesn't get it yet. Oh, he does. Oh, he does get gets yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. And that, keeps that's her right. safe. He keeps it safe. Keeps yeah. her safe. That's right. Yeah. Um, he means he doesn't it use it yet. No, exactly. He keeps it. Yeah. Keep it secret. Keep, keep it, it safe. safe. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it's not that sort of secret. Nor of the cows. Nor of the cows. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let's get back. But you know, it's this trickery. It's a you know we were talking about Lou and his trickery last yeah. week. Uh, it's not really quite the same. This is it's similar, mm. but it's just not the same because this is all about words or taking things too literally. Mm. It's not when you can you get away with. Yeah, it's it's not sort of straightforward. You know, theft and larceny and um, you know ecological vandalism that Jack and the Beanstalk is is 
capable of. How much could you steal? Yeah. I don't know if it's like, but it's also unlike. Yeah. It's, it's all about trickery through words, taking mm. things through literally. But what it is, is the essence of Irish humour and stories. It is rather, yes. <laughs> there was a story I was telling just last week uh, in, in a, around Halloween, and it's a story about this goblin. It might have originally been the devil, but I tell yeah. it's a goblin. And how this farmer, you know, is working where it's brilliant field, but it's so much work. Yeah. It'll grow anything. Mm. But it's, we had it growing money and yeah, stuff, you know, but we just it'll grow anything. Yeah, really good field. And uh, this goblin comes out and says, "Look, I tell you what, I'll help you with the work. I'll do all the work for you. I'll do all the preparation, mm. all the hoeing, and all the hard work mm. if you give me half the crop." Which is similar to some of the stuff it is we were a bit talking about. Like yeah, it's very similar yeah. to this one. Yeah, and uh, he says, "Okay, okay, we'll go with that." Mm. And he says, "Look, um, but I want to ask you something. What do you want? Tops mm. or bottoms?" Mm. And the uh, goblin says, Just, it sounds like he means the top of the bottom of the field. Mm. Mm. And he says, oh, I'll have uh, tops. And of course, it means half of the produce. Half the produce, yeah. yeah. So when he comes back, that's right, it could be just he means half the field, mm. or just he'll have yeah. half the top, half the produce. Yeah. When he comes back, he says, right, okay, where's my half the produce? And he says, well, um, I thought I'd grow carrots this year. Mm. So we've eaten all the carrots, but if you go over there in the barn, you'll find your half. All it comes the carrot back tops. And there's all the mouldy carrot tops. Yeah. So the goblin's a bit knocked off by this and <laughs> a bit fed up. So he goes, all right, next year I'll have bottoms. Mm. Bounce is fine. Mm -hmm. So the next year he plants, um, it's either wheat or barley or mm. something. When he comes back, he's got the thing worth having again. Mm. So the fine the third year, they uh, he says, no, 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 we're just going to grow grass. We're going to cut the hay and we'll mm. have a competition to see who can cut the hay the fastest. Mm. And the one who gets it gets both halves. But he sows iron bars in one side. And, of course, the goblin's scythe is completely broken. Mm. And the goblin explodes in anger and disappears. <laughs> it's a standard story, but it's mm. that literal quality. The exactly. tops and bottoms, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's always within the word of the law mm. and the rule. In fact, it's really a pretty good exercise on how to deal with bureaucracy. It is rather. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, doesn't the Dagda say, that which is not right and lawful may not be done by me? Exactly, yeah. He, yeah. he is something of an embodiment of rightness. Yeah. And, of course... Um, Poetry and particularly Irish poetry, there's an awful, it's very, very dense. The early yes. Irish poetry, I'm full of puns and plays on words. If I got it right, oh, yeah, it? absolutely, absolutely. And and again, very often the naming of a character has to do with that slight sense of punning mm -hmm. um, or meaning one thing, uh, possibly until you look at the next line and then it means mm. something else. In fact, you were telling me about some of the early, early Irish styles of poetry, which mm. is so dense that almost what you said terse to the point of obscurity. <laughs> That's a quote from Damien McManus. So, yes. Where you have, uh, what, so three words or yeah. two words which have to alliterate. Encompass huge amounts of things. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, and yet typical of Irish poetry yes. or early Irish poetry. Yeah. And if you think about coming to the even the modern stereotype, mm. the so-called gift of the gab yeah. or the Blarney Stone, it's come right down to the present. It has been. They say the Irish can talk the hind leg of a donkey and then convince it to go <laughs> for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> And certainly none of us are bad at talking. No, no, absolutely. Just as we have spoken before about how the words that are spoken in poetry must be true, in the same way, the words that the dag does speak must be right. He must always be giving a right judgment. Mm -hmm. And just to compare, we were talking about... Trick expression to a false judgment. Yes, yeah. exactly. But that the means for that comes through Creedenvale, who is performing He's illegal false satirist. satirist yeah. Yes. So it's all right to trick him. Exactly, yeah. Um, but we do have, in comparison, we do have a, 
a true satire, if you like. Yeah, the legal satire. legal satire, performed by Carbara McAdeen, uh, when he goes to visit Bresch mm-hmm. and isn't given good hospitality. Now, presumably, because this is a satire that then gives a blemish on Bresch's honour and mm. he's endured the satire and therefore can't be king, that means that this satire was done in the right way that mm-hmm. we were speaking of, yeah, of if giving notice starting to compose the mm-hmm. satire and when things aren't recompensed then you may legally publicly broadcast this satire yeah we gave the words of the satire yes um, we did a couple it's, of podcasts ago exactly, when we were talking, talking about, about Bresch. Bresch. yes but i mean these legal satires go on and on you get stories about kings and good judgments mm. i mean the one about cormac mccart comes to mind yes yeah who's was, supposed to be the irish solomon yeah, known yeah. above all for yeah. his good judgment absolutely you know and i tell that story it's you know he really wants to be a good king yeah but the trouble is everybody wants him to settle arguments yes and it gives him a headache yes but there's a story about the famous story about his judgment like the judgment of Solomon this With is the, the judgment babies. of yeah of Cormac Macart yeah and somebody comes along and says look that person there her sheep got into my land and they ate my vegetables yes so I want her sheep yes because well, yeah. in and Cormac in says recompense. no 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 you can't have the sheep mm. but you can have the wool from the sheep mm-hmm. because uh he took you know your sheep those sheep took what grew on the, the land. T- yes. So now you can take what grew on, on the, the sheep. sheep. Exactly. I think that's a great story. It is. So. I love it. Yeah. And there's another one. I forget which king. Somebody makes a, a false judgment and the house falls down. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I, and this, I can't remember who that was. This is known as the fear of Flathven, the truth of nobility, if mm-hmm. you like. And it is the importance of making right judgments and speaking the truth because otherwise yeah the house yeah. will fall on your head it's interesting isn't it you can you have so many boasting stories mm. i mean the warriors boast all the time yeah and they make up stories about themselves and that's accepted and understood mm. and yet there is this counterbalance of this absolutely the essential of the truth of judgments. absolutely yeah and i think that's what everybody enjoys about the dagda is that he still tells the truth and gets away with it, and yes, it's it's that lovely underlying humour that yeah. is there. And yeah, the... he can he can he can use it to achieve his own ends. Yeah. And everyone likes stories like that. Yeah, exactly. And then um, there's another story that, that I can't remember. You told me it comes from a different. It doesn't come from Moitura about the Dagda, isn't there? This is the, a the, judgment. Yeah, this is the uh, poems on Alec. There's three poems on Alec in the mm. Metrical Dinghenicus. And uh, we did touch on these with corpse carrying for beginner, mm-hmm. beginners. We had to put in a little postscript post once once we had realised the connection. But in the story, anyway, um, Oid, who is one of the Dagda's three sons, he's got Oingasog, Oid and Kermud are his three sons. Um, in the story of Alec, Oid is killed, mm-hmm. again, by a jealous husband. This seems to be a bit of a family trait. You know, <laughs> Oid has gone off with uh, Korgunach's wife, uh, who I think is called Tethra in that. Yeah. Um, and then when Korgunach uh, finds out, he kills Oid out of jealousy. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not considered to be a good thing to do. No, and the the, the people of Ireland who love Oid for his duty and mm-hmm. all the other things he, they usually love people for, um, and they basically want Korgunach's head on a platter. You know, they say, kill him, kill him, kill him. You know, get mm-hmm. your vengeance. He's taken a life, so you should take a life. And the Dagda, who is the one 
who gives the final judgment says no and i think that's where he says that which is not right may not be done by me that's where it comes from yeah, yeah i'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. that's where it comes yeah. from he says that would not be just and indeed as i'm sure i've said before there's very little evidence of any kind of death penalty mm -hmm. in it's Irish quite interesting stories. you can play around and trick people but as mm. long as you give them the worth of what it was yeah and put things right absolutely it seems to be acceptable yeah it's it's all about the entire legal system is based on making things right mm. you know it's it's really is not about vengeance and this is where the Dagda stands up and even though all of his people are demanding vengeance he says that is not right even though it's his own his own son and what he deems as a fitting recompense is that Kurgunak must then carry the corpse of Oid on his back until he finds a suitable gravestone for him and when he does then he will build a great monument to Oid yeah, and that's yeah. how Alec Green on Alec the, becomes carrying made. the recognition and the responsibility yeah, the, for what he's done exactly yes and it's quite interesting when you compare it to Lou and the children of Turin it is a bit um now there Lou has every right to be angry mm. what was done was terrible exactly and um, again and it is it breaks that basic law yes. the children of Turin killed his father and did at, it in secret and did it in secret and did it for no good reason yeah. it wasn't it was in cold blood yeah and it's it is a terrible thing mm. but Lou is not it is not right that he sets some tasks that cause that their death that will eventually kill them he's kind of he's hedging his bets he's hedging a bit because he knows that he's not allowed to just take their lives but what he does is to set an honour price that is so high that it's inevitable mm. that they will die in trying to fulfil it. But it doesn't have that same feeling to it. It's, no. It feels vengeful. It does, yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of trying to go around the law in order to get vengeance, vengeance rather, rather than, than circumventing vengeance to get justice. Yeah, yeah. Now, the next sort of section we get to is um, where Lou arrives at Tara and yeah. is met by the doorkeeper. Mm -hmm. We dealt with that in the last podcast. But oddly enough, when the doorkeeper mentions all these people in Tara never mentions the doctor at all no he doesn't and even once Lou has gained entrance to Tara and is challenged you know by Nuada and various other people we still have no sign of the doctor there no no he's challenged by Ogma yeah to, to chuck, a, chuck a flagstone to, through the wall yeah. and then Ogma's supposed to repair it on the way you know that's it's Ogma throws out the flagstone through the wall of Tara Lou throws it back in so that the bit of wall also flies back into place. It sounds so, a bit, you know. Yeah. But anyway, the, the next time we really come across him is that after Lou takes this temporary kingship of 13 mm. days, mm. which is a little obscure. It is a bit, yeah. Um, in fact, the only reference, if you look at the notes for Grey, she mentions that this is obscure mm. and the only thing she can do is cite Celtic heritage. Yes. <laughs> as being other forms of temporary 13-day kingship. Yeah, yeah. But... That's it, really. Mm. But anyway, then, uh, well, there's this problem with the first muster, isn't there? There is. And part of the problem is one of pronouns. Um, that we've just had the section that says, you know, the king rose before him for 13 days. The, the next very section next sentence says, says he, he went with the two brothers, Dagda and Ogma, and with Gojnu and Dienkeacht to Greladolid to have Sir, their secret meeting. conference. Yes. Now... Most commentators have taken the he in that sentence as Lou, as Locke. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't really, and um, particularly because they then have to go and do it all over again directly before Locke. You mm -hmm. know, that it's almost like they've gone off in secret to prepare, to lay the groundwork 
for what they're going to do. And then they go back to Lou, who then asks everyone, well, what is it that you're going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and then they all make See, their formal uh, contribution. Yeah, you've got two versions of this same thing happening. This yeah. is what they call the, the first master and the second master. Yes, yeah. But in fact, they're the same thing. Yeah. But one, this one seems to have no reference to Lou at all. No. And also, it's of quite a different character. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, although the text says that they gathered their smiths and their lawyers and their physicians and their druid, their druids and so on, we only hear from um, a sorcerer, Karakonech, the cupbearers, Diogfora, mm-hmm. and the druid, mm-hmm. druid. And then we hear the Dagda say, I can do that all myself. Yeah, well, it also seems to be the Dagda is leading this process through. Yes. It's almost as he, it really feels like he is the one who is uh, the war leader holding the conference. Yes. And it's clearly Nuada asking the questions. I think so, yeah. I mean, this is, it's not just a question of pronouns. Mm. And it's, it's really interesting what, in fact, they ask and what they offer. Yes. They do things like the, the um, oh, lower the mountains yes. and dry up the lakes. Yes, yeah. The, the, the sorcerers will cause the mountains to shake so that their summits will fall down and it will seem as if the entire land of Ireland is fighting on the side mm. of the Dadanon. The, uh, and... Of course, then they name the 12 chief mountains of Ireland. Yeah, they, can't, it's like they can't lower them if they can't name them. Exactly. It's yeah. like everything has to be named. There's very much a Dinshanicus yes, element yeah. to this. Yeah. You name the mountain and what will happen to that mountain. Yes. And it's the same with the rivers and lakes, isn't exactly. it? And that's what the cupbearers do. And they say that they... They will hide them. They'll hide them from the Fovera so that no matter how long they look, they will never find a drink. And I think they also say that they're going to bind their urine into the, the bodies of the Fovera and their horses so that they'll be cross-legged for the whole time as well. <laughs> um, so it's very much this thing of having powers over the waters. And once again, they name them. They name the rivers and they name the lakes. Yeah. And then the Druid talks about uh, bringing down a rain of fire upon oh, this, the Fogra. Isn't it them who do the binding of the urine? I can't remember. Yeah, because I think it's the... I think the showers of, yes, the showers of, of fire, fire yeah. go with the binding of the urine. I think so. But it definitely has to do with... Um, that the Fovera won't be able to look up and that um, every breath they take will reduce their strength and their mm-hmm. courage, but the two of the Danon will be uh, empowered and strengthened by every breath. It's really strange because mm. here you've got this very... What doesn't happen very often, this mm. absolutely elemental magic. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost as though they are saying, you know, there, there is going to be trouble, there is going to be a battle, mm. and now we have to destroy the world yeah. in order to prepare for the remaking of exactly. it. Exactly. It is that kind of inversion of natural order which we've discovered is so centrally important to the Tua de Danon, um, that they have to subvert that order in order to be able to get, gain the space to rebuild mm. order. And, and then chaos. this the Dagda stands, he says, I can do it all. Everything mm. you can do, I, I will can do, do it better. Well. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll do it as well. Yeah. And it's almost as though he now at the moment stands as in the same place that the Eldonic stood at the end of when he came to Tara and said, everything you can do, yes. have you got someone who can do them all? Yes. And the Dagda says, well, 
I can do them all. Except that... And he wasn't there. No, he wasn't. Well. And and it it has a different quality to it because what he's saying he can do... He's more is, than an old Dalek. Yeah, he's shaping and making the land itself. Yeah. You know, he's not just kind of healing people or making weapons or, you know, any of those very human crafts that mm, uh, Lou says elemental. he can do. Very And elemental. this is where, interestingly enough, he's supposed to get his name. Exactly. Which he already has. Yeah, but... um, of course. We've we've always referred to him as the Dagda. He's the Dagda throughout the text. But now he gets his name. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone says when he says he'll do everything, they all they go, go oh, "Yo, you're the best." <laughs> and the the uh, the glasses usually, and this has gone right the way through from mm. this ninth century, eighth century text, all the way through to modern scholarship, mm-hmm. where they say "dagda" means good god. Mm-hmm. Now that would be "dagdia." Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was even something that we were looking up the other day where they were giving a tentative proto-Celtic form mm. for this, but. The word Daigta just never gets, it never appears in a form that would mean that second element was Dia. Mm-hmm. Never. It's always Daigta. Mm. Um, and sometimes there's even a U colouring on there, Daigta. Mm. That kind of, it's very much a, a broad ending. It's very much an A sound. There's mm. no I or E sound in there at all. Um, and so what I think the name is made of is a Dvanva compound mm-hmm. where you, it, it's like when the Irish say, oh, there's nothing there at all at all. Mm-hmm. If you double it, you make it more emphatic. So he's good, good. Yeah. So he's really good. Exactly. He he's is the, the best. best of the best. Yes. So the all round good guy. <laughs> Definitely all round. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a double meaning. There you are. You yeah, see the perfect. all round, all round good guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, you've got somebody else I wanted to talk about was Ogma. Yes. You know, now he is a bit of a mystery because he's supposed to be, he's always supposed to be the Dagda's brother. Yes. And he's named variously in in various episodes through this text. But we really don't have any stories of him. You know, the, the only kind of glimmering that we get is an origin story for the Ogham, for Mm -hmm. Ogham, that, uh, it was something that Ogma invented. And that rather odd bit where he finds a sword at the yes, end of uh, Orna. Yeah, he finds finds the sword that then tells talks, all, all its talks deeds. The story, which yeah. is a very unusual... It's the only thing that's mentioned of its kind mm. in Moitur at yeah, all. absolutely. It just feels like an extra bit. Yeah, yeah. But that's the only thing, apart from throwing the, throwing the flagstone, it's yeah. the only time it's mentioned. Yeah, it's, his role is a bit unclear, mm. you know, and even the fact that he's described as trainer, a strong man, which is usually said to be champion. But, but it's not really, it is just mm. he's a strong man. Yeah. Um, of course, he's widely known as the con- on, on the, the continent, continent as yes. Osmios, and yeah. where he's generally seen as a man with a club. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, actually, Dagda is generally seen also as a man with a club. Mm. And it's odd the way they have similar abilities and functions. Yeah, yeah. Um, even the words... Yes. Ogmar is credited with having created this dense and interesting form of uh, writing yeah. or notation. Mm. And you can't help wondering whether, and we're not the first to wonder, no. whether he's actually the same figure. As the Dagda. As the Dagda. Yeah. And, and much like they've brought in other popular Celtic figures such as Logan and Nuada, even though Nuada's more insular than continental, mm. but that Ogmias was obviously a popular continental figure mm. um, that they've kind of brought in because they recognise that it's he's kind related. It's like Dagda, so he must yeah, be his brother. exactly, yeah. And it's interesting, it says, several times it says, Ogma and Dr. and Lou. Yes. And if you think, okay, Lou may well be our shiny foreigner. Mm. I mean, he has an incredible place in the story now. Yeah, yeah. But if you're looking back to yeah. it, it may, it works if you just say, 
Dagda, Dagda did. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, this comes up again and again, and every time we've tried to do it, it seems to work. Yes. And sure enough, even the throwing of the flagstone, mm. well, it's a Dagda-ish sort of thing to do. It is. It's shifting large, you know, lumps of material. It's what he does. Yeah. He moves stones yeah. and creates earth, yeah. earth, and he moves earth with his stone, mm. with his club, and he... Yeah, throws things around. Yeah. Um, so it's more Dagderish than Ogmerish. Yeah, yeah, it is rather. I don't know, it's just mm, a thought. Mm. It's but again, it's it's odd this bit of the story because it feels very basic, very mm. primitive. Mm. That sense of moving the land around, yeah. the sense of creation, as we said earlier, that sort of deliberately inverting sort of mm. things mm. in order to prepare for the struggle to come. Yeah, yeah. And Which then you, rebuild them afterwards. So it can be rebuilt, mm. yeah, as setting the scene. Mm. Mm. Um, you have to destroy, almost making space for a battle. Yeah, clearing a plane. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because immediately after this um, secret meeting mm. that we personally think Lou wasn't at. Yeah, the arm room. Um, then what happens is Dagda, Ogma and now Lou go to meet with the Morrigan. Yes. Now, of course, she's, if you like, we would like to see her as the chief poet. Yes. And uh, she speaks the words, the poetry that legitimises the coming battle. Yes, this is where she has that poem that we talked about last time, to undertake a victorious battle. She is very much, it's like a formal declaration of war. That's how I feel about yeah. it. And uh, the chief characters mm. go and she has to speak the words, which yes. is now, okay, we declare war on the Fremora. Yeah. And now the battle is legitimate. And I yeah. think all this sort of thing, as we've been talking all the time about mm. judgments. And, and rightness. The, rightness. The legitimacy of things was very important, wasn't yes, it? Yes, massively, massively. So, but of course, then, just as we were discussing, if the Dagda and Agma are kind of one character, then what you have is the Dagda brings Lou off to meet with the Morrigan and get her blessing on their Dux Balorum, their battle chief. Oh, maybe isn't there at all it's just a doctor? Possibly. Um, now, you did say something to me that really interested mm. me, that in fact we know that the, the text of Moitura was created out of many different pieces. It's, yes. It's, it's not one whole... It's not made out of a whole cloth, is it? It's, no, it's but patched it's, together. Yeah, it is, it is quite well patched together, but some of the sections bear more marks of being newer, language, mm -hmm. linguistically speaking, than others. And um, Elizabeth Gray, in her introduction to her edition of Kathmagathurud, she talks about um, the use of the preterite and the perfect. Now, this is for all you grammar Nazis out there. The preterite is the kind of good historical tense that most old Irish sagas are in. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, this is what happened. Mm. Um, the perfect tense is for, for more direct speech. That's I have done this. That is French, isn't it? It is, rather. Now, in old Irish stories, you get the preterite, but as old Irish turns into middle Irish between the 9th and 11th centuries, mm -hmm. you start to get the perfect tense where you'd expect the preterite. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gray has given a nice little list of the episodes in the story that show no none of that Middle Irish influence. Mm -hmm. And um, it very much kind of gives us a story where the Dagda is at the centre of it all. Mm -hmm. So every bit that these main Dagda stories yeah. are all the old exactly. older version. They, they, it seems to be that they have preserved their old Irish form. Yeah. a lot better and similarly with the episodes at the Morrigan are also very much right, right. part of that 
Now, you did point out to me that we have to be careful because some of the loo parts, it's yeah. not like saying, if it's got loo in, it's modern. If no, it, it's exactly. not like that. No, and things like uh, these musterings, including the one with look, asking mm. the questions, they have lovely old Irish pressure in them. And yet, they do seem to be like repeating the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's two versions of the same. We'll come to the second mustering in a minute. Yeah. But we did mention it last time. Yes, yeah. But it's worth taking this on board, mm. isn't it? Because if Lou is a shiny foreigner, then it's like, that's a what if. Mm. It's quite interesting to say, what if you take Lou out of these sections? What what's What left? happens? Yeah. And if we do that to the very next section, so it's not just Dagda, Ogma and Lou going to meet the Morrigan. At this point, we go... Dagda goes to meet the Morrigan. And that's exactly what and, happens. And uh, she sings this song of, you know, she calls, uh, speaks the, the, the legitimization of the battle. Yes. And then you get this wonderful story that yes. happens next, the meeting between the, the Dagda and the Morrigan, where presumably one hopes they are just there by themselves. Well, either that, they've got an audience. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> So if we just have a look at how Grey tells this part of the story yeah. in her translation. I, I love the way the, the here, the Morrigan, is always just recalled the woman. It's a bit like Irene Adler mm -hmm. in the Sherlock Holmes stories. I Irish Adler <laughs> got up to this. <laughs> but it goes something like this in Grey's yeah. translation. The Dagda had a house in Glen Eden, isn't it? Aden. Aden. It's actually Sorry. Glen Aid, which is up near oh, Manor Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, that's not far from us. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I'll do that. Have a house in Glen A, did yep, he? Yep. Oh, right. <laughs> really nice houses up there, actually. Mm. In the north. And he'd arranged to meet a woman a year from that day near the All Hallows of the battle. The Unction of Connacht uh, roars to the south of it. Now, that's an odd take for the Unction. Which is really quite a it's little a stream. It's a very little stream, and it's sort of like southwest, really. Mm. It's not really south, it's southwest. Yeah. Over Sligo direction, mm. right very near the Battle of Battleside Moidura. Yes, and Un Unshin itself, it may refer to a sort of even archaic in old Irish terms verb meaning to see. To see. Mm. Mm, interesting. He saw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he saw the woman at the Unshin washing with one of one of her feet at uh, what is it? Um, Oh, it's uh, Ahoka or something. Uh, uh, um, no, it's Ahana. Ahana. Ahana, yeah. That's right, south of the water, and the other at Lisconi, north of the water. Yeah. Now, that makes it sound like a giant. Unless you've actually Unless you've been there. <laughs> because it's a very... I don't know whether you could actually step across it. It's not... Yeah, but, I mean, but it's only a stream. Yes. And, of course, it's talking about the townlands either side of it. Yes. And, yeah. of course, you know, you can just switch townlands. We're in mm. Chandra, and just a few yards yeah, down the road, it'd be... Jump over the ditch, Java. yeah. You know, so it's it's not as strange as it sounds. Yes. Anyway, go on. There were nine loosened tresses on her head. I, I know you love that. I bit, do, yeah. And partly the 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 word for the translation as tresses is thrillish, which I just think is a beautiful word. The Dagda spoke with her, and they united. The bed of the couple was the name of that place from that time on. Yes. And it glosses it as the woman mentioned here is it's the Morrigan. But that is a gloss. It has to be put in brackets because everyone knows if you're talking about the Dagda and a woman, you're talking about the Morrigan. And in fact, uh, when we looked at the poem on Uthras, which we were looking at when we were talking about the Morrigan in Mythical Women, episode six, when she's first introduced into the story, she's just Ben in Dagda. She's mm. the Dagda's mm. woman. The Dagda's woman. Mm. 
So when you say to any audience that heard the woman yes. in conjunction of, with the, with the, the doctor would know it meant the Morrigan. Exactly. So, so they're kind of couple anyway. So yeah. when it says it's better the couple, mm. it's not because they met and mated. Mm. They it, just met. It, because that's who they, that's were. Who they were. And the word used for couple, is it's another word I love, it's lawnoven, right? Which is the, the term that's used for marriage and so on is lawnoveness. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the root of what it means is full twinning. That's nice. Yeah, which is a really beautiful term. So it's suggesting here that they didn't have, uh, you know, they just jumped It wasn't a one-off. Ooh, like the look of you. Yeah. You know, it's so different from yeah. the story of Elitha. And Eru. And Eru. Yeah. Where um, they meet, it's, it's, it's a deduction. Yeah. Not far from a rape, mm. or a consensual rape, at least. Mm. You know, but I mean, she's so miserable and sad yes. about it afterwards. Yeah. And, Will I see you again? Mm. And he just walks off, basically. He says, don't call me, I'll give you a ring. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> But here it's a very mature. You feel yes. like this is a married couple mm. who mm. are meeting yeah. at a prearranged time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it's, and we've sort of seen it as nature and culture meeting. Yeah, I mean, if you do compare it with Elitha and Eru... Um, we have Eru, who's obviously gives her name to Ireland, but it's very related to a word Eru, which might just mean the land, mm -hmm. um, and Elitha, who is science. Mm. So it's almost this very deliberate She's and nature and he's culture. Nature and culture. But when we get to Dagda and the Morrigan, Dagda's the one who moves earth around. He's nature. He's nature. She's the poet. She's culture. Culture. Um, and so it's it's the opposite way around. And this one works. This it's a very mature relationship. Oh, you know, it's just They get together, yeah. as they've done before. Yeah. And it's just, you know, just... With Elitha and Eru, nature's left ravaged mm. and abandoned. Mm. Because he does that to create... Chaos. chaos yes he's doing that to create bresh yeah. who's going to bring about the chaos yeah yeah but yet you still feel it has to be done mm, in mm. order to recreate to the order, order yeah. and uh, poor oh you know you poor feel bresh. so sorry yeah eru and bresh yeah you know they have no choice mm, mm. they are just the patsies all the way around yeah yeah of course, the other bit is that after they've met and mated and they've got the better of the couple and all of that, she then seems to give her battle offer yes. to the Dagda. And she, instead of doing it at the first muster, mm, she does this privately. Yeah. But it follows straight on. It does. The first muster, Dagda goes to the Morrigan, she reads the Declaration of War, mm. or speaks yes. the Declaration of War, and then she says she what she her will offer. do. Yes. And what she says is, it's a little bit gruesome perhaps, but she says that she will go to the Fomorian king in Dovnan, and she will take two handfuls of blood. I think it's the blood of his heart and the kidneys of his valour. <laughs> I didn't know my kidneys were brave, but there you go. That might be related to the whole binding urine in their bodies mm -hmm. and then taking their courage. But it's taking know. strength and courage, yeah, isn't it? She, that I will, will, will yes. destroy their courage. Yes, and she said that she would bring that blood back to the Unshin to show to the hosts. Mm -hmm. So it, it is almost like a ritualised kind of sense of this is what we will do, this is how we will win. Well, it's shouting on your side at yeah, that point, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and now, again, so there's some criticism that we were looking through before this was saying that the the Dagda has to plead with the Morrigan for a battle plan. But, no, it seems more like this is what she offers. Mm -hmm. You know, now she she gives advice. Somebody said, I read somewhere, oh, she mates, he mates with her, mm -hmm. 
um, so that she will give him a battle plan. Yes. It doesn't. It isn't like that no, at all. No, no, it's not. And they're just this. They're a couple mm, coming together, yeah. a husband and wife coming yeah. together, and it's it's. But talk about the best way to talk do about it. the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. you know. And so she said, "Well, look, I'll do this, and yeah. you do that. Bring them here, and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll speak poetry that will make them braver." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that uh, I will take the valor from the other side and mm. give it to you because mm. I'll go. You're better than they are. Yeah. And that's how I read it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, it's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, they have to go. The, 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 then we get into one of the best bits of the story at all. Oh yes, yes. Because in, in a way, now battle's been declared, but the first shot hasn't yet been fired. This is the Dagda's battle yes. that happens next. This and is how he does it. He doesn't fight with a sword, and he doesn't actually, as far as we can see, hit anyone with a mm. club. Mm. It's a bit of harp. Yes, that's maybe an accident. <laughs> but he goes off to the Fomorian camp. Now, in the text, it says Lou sent him to mm. get a, a truce with the Fomorians, yes. or to just to slow things down a yeah. bit until they were ready. Mm. But in the Dagda's track story, you feel after he leaves the Morrigan, mm. he goes off on his own, mm. to the Fomora camp and yes. thinks, right, I'm going to fight this lot. But yeah. it's an interesting one because um, he goes to ask for a temporary truce, so he says, yes. and then this, this section mirrors the meanness forced on Bresh. Yes. You know, remember Bresh, it's, it's, he, he... He doesn't give enough food to his poets. So he's starving everybody. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what Bresh has done. Is the through... problem say, you're not going to get away with that one here. Yeah. But... Oh, no. <laughs> We're not going to fall gonna, for that one You're again. not going to... Tell anyone that we uh, we didn't feed you properly. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna really make you suffer. Yes, <laughs> because what they do is they get a great big uh, dish or crater, crater. The ground. They yeah. dig a big hole in the ground. Yeah, uh, and they fill it five fists deep. Yes, with milk and meal. In fact, yeah. they use four score gallons of milk. Mm. That's eighty gallons of milk. Yeah, I'm not gonna work that out in liters. No. <laughs> And then they also throw in a load of meal, yeah. and then they throw in numerous uh, sheep, pigs, and, and goats. goats. Yes, whole halves of them just chucked straight in and there. And then they cook the lot into porridge. Yes. And they say, okay, now you have to eat anything we give you because yes. that's the laws of hospitality. Yeah. Eat that lot. Yeah. So it's this kind of overabundance, which is a bit like when we were talking about Bresh, and we were saying that when he's pleading for his life, that previously he's been too mean and then he offers too much by mm -hmm. trying to offer the four harvests a year and so on. And we almost get that here as well in the Fomorian camp. It's like, okay, we were negligent in our hospitality before. This time we're going to give you so much hospitality that you we're won't gonna kill you with kindness. Absolutely. And yeah. they just lavish this extravagant hospitality on him. Mm. And in fact, he says he's given a spoon which is so huge <laughs> that a man and woman could lie in it. Yeah, and that's lie with bunny ears around it. Yeah, yeah that's man the and idea. Lie in it. <laughs> and he he has to eat it and he eats yes, a lot. He, does. he eats it so he eats so much of it that he scrapes the last bit out with his fingers yes, and laps it up. Yeah, with the bits of gravel and moss. Oh, <laughs> And uh, at the end of that, they uh, yeah they don't want to be tricked into false judgment. Mm. So they're going, look, you got the hospitality. You can't complain. You can't yeah. start making satires. Nobody can get at us yeah. because we gave you this lot. And they're yeah. not expecting him to eat it. No, exactly. And if he couldn't get through it, mm. he'd be failing in the laws of hospitality himself. Now, hospitality is so central to Irish culture and to Irish society that I, I almost find it difficult to fully explain. Yeah. Um, but they were crucial laws and you had to be able to 
receive hospitality as much as you offered hospitality. It was kind of a skill, wasn't it? Yeah, and this is sort to of... learn how to receive it as exactly, well as how to get yeah. it. And, you know, that's partly what's happening here with the doctor in the Fomorian camp. They're trying to undo him by, you know, giving him too much hospitality. Yeah. And then it would be his fault if he didn't accept it. Yeah, you so know? it would almost be like the false judgment on his part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Didn't you tell me that every rank in society had sort of different levels and ways in which they had to well it's a bit like give um, hospitality well it's it's more that um, when you get to the the highest ranks mm -hmm. you know the highest rank that you could reach in life it depends upon what your background is so if you're with the learned class you could be a judge or a or an olive or the chief poet you know if you were part of the aristocratic society then you could get to be king but if you were from a farming background um so the sort of agricultural and peasant type of yeah, background yeah. then the highest rank there is the brugge mm -hmm. and the brugge is a professional hospitaller mm -hmm. so and their job is that basically they have to have such a great amount of wealth and uh, a sort of surfeit of wealth that they have to keep an open house for everyone Mm -hmm. So that and, and again, their house had to be on the meeting of at least three roads. Mm -hmm. They had to be able to enumerate their cattle in hundreds. So you had to go. You could go up one, uh, one career path branch. or another. Exactly. God, it sounds like role play games. Yeah, these are the. Uh, it is a structured society in that way. Absolutely, yes, it is. Yeah. But again, you know, if you are from a farming background, and if your your previous generations of your family have built up enough sustainable wealth, yeah. then you can get to be on a par with the chief poets and judges and yeah. so on. So you can get to the top of that tree. Exactly. And they all have the same sort of on yeah. price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, mind you, this giving and receiving, you mm -hmm. know, the, this uh, this hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, it's still there today, isn't it? Oh, it, it? is, yeah. Um, I, you know, you you can't... Oh, go on. Oh, go, yes, go, on, go, on, go, go on, go on, go on, go on. I'm sure many of you out there have seen Father Ted. Well, it just so. reminds me of that thing with not just Mrs. Dog. Oh, go on, oh, go on. But do you remember the bit where she uh, goes out for... Uh, uh, goes out for tea with her with one a of friend. her friends yeah. in the tea shop and then yeah. they start arguing about who's going to pay no yeah. Yeah, I'm going to pay no no no, no, no. put your purse away I'm yeah. going to pay and they both end up in jail yes <laughs> and that just sums up Irish hospitality it does a bit and, and I've, I've been guilty of that kind of thing myself and I've had many people complain about how they get addicted to tea because if they're around spending time with me I just constantly have tea in my hand and so every time I go to make more tea I offer tea and the other person accepts it and then they're drinking far more tea than they're used to drinking. You can't refuse. You're not supposed to no, ever refuse. Exactly. And it can be very difficult. If someone offers you something, it can be well, very like, difficult. You know, you say, know. I don't eat cakes. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't want a biscuit. Yeah, yeah. I go on. You and they you think you're being one. polite. And yeah. There's all this game that goes on. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, but it's particularly prevalent here. Oh, yeah. And it's... Nice, but yeah, it can get a bit over the top. But again, there's Irish mammies who end up being a bit Fomorian because they see a young man come in and they go, oh, you're starving thin, we have to fatten you up and, you know, put <laughs> more pounds of potatoes and For sausages on a plate. Fomorian mammies, yeah. that's a lovely one. <laughs> yeah, I met a few of them. I try not to be one. <laughs> but he doesn't worry about his dignity at all. He just takes everything they give him. And the interesting he just takes it in good humour. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the way he's described as his belly is dragging on the floor and he can't hardly stand. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. He can be like that because he's not a king. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have to have great dignity and... Uh, and physical be, beauty. Absolutely. Physical beauty, really. If If you're a king or, you know, a hero trying to be king... 
either. Yeah. But uh, no, it doesn't make a difference to the Dagda because he, he's not set up as a king in this text. Yeah, he is, I believe, later text maker. There are, yeah. And and when you get two things like the Leverkavola or some of the genealogy, Lou, yeah, he? they say that he reigned for us 87 years or something like that after Lou had been king, which, again, I don't think in this text Lou really is king, except No, that's why I called him yeah. the Duxville Aurum. Exactly. But they say that the Dagda was then king of all Ireland and uh, died of a wound that he received at the second battle. But there's none of that within the text itself. No, That's I... almost like a later attempt, because they know that Agda is so important, because he has so much control yeah, but he, over the land. He couldn't go around looking like this if he were king. No, exactly. He doesn't need to be king. No, no. He's, like, he's got his own authority. We, in this way, he's he's a kind of, another kind of Daxplorum, but in a completely different way, because he's, mm. he's, he's not fighting a battle of weapons. Mm. He's fighting a battle of words. Always. Yeah. And he wins by losing. Which is a classic Wonderful. foolish clownish thing to do on the way back mm. when he's suffering from this severe food over which is a sort of <laughs> solid form of hangover yes that's when he meets the daughter of the house isn't exactly. it index daughter yeah and now that's interesting because in a lot of stories we hear about the daughter of the house there's two things that she'll do she will dispense drink and she will just sort of grant sexual favors on honored guests it's almost like the role of the daughter of a house is to give sexual hospitality. Mm. And so the Dagda then meets the daughter of the house. So there's that implication that... They're trying to make him fail again. Exactly. In hospitality. Yeah. Because he's not in any state whatsoever yeah. to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> and they make that abundantly clear. Now, before we go on to this next bit, which it's worth remembering is one of the bits that Stokes didn't bother to translate. Um, I'm reminded of a quote that is in the foreword to one of Lady Gregory's books where she's basically trying to rehabilitate the Irish stories as a great world literature and she quotes this Dr Atkinson who's a professor at Trinity College who essentially is saying the, the Irish stories they're of no worth whatsoever I think you've got the quote there yeah, so. it's scarcely been touched by the movements of the great literatures it's the untrained popular feeling therefore it's almost intolerably low in tone <laughs> I don't mean naughty but low and every now and then when circumstances as occasion it, it goes lower than low. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> it's going to sound as though we're proving him right. <laughs> oh God, this is one of the best bits. Isn't it, it is one of the best bits. So, but I think it's it's another thing that has been said of this section is that it was an attempt by Christian commentators to discredit I don't think so. the indigenous stories but I, I think, don't this, think is the so. this is the bit. bit that every audience that heard this story would have been would have been looking forward to absolutely yeah so go on then it goes on then he went away uh, it was not easy for the warrior to move along on account of the size of his belly his appearance was unsightly he had a cape down to the hollow of his elbows and a grey brown tunic about around him as far as the swelling of his rump he trailed behind him a wheeled fork, which was the, the work of eight men to move, and its track was enough for the boundary ditch of a province. <laughs> it's called the track of the Dagda's club for that reason. His long penis was uncovered. He had two shoes of horsehair with the hair outside. <laughs> Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. As he went along, he saw a girl in front of him, a good-looking young woman with an excellent figure, her hair in beautiful tresses. The Dagda desired her desired her, sorry, but he was impotent on account of his belly. <laughs> the girl began to mock him 
and then she began wrestling with him. She held him down so that he sunk to the hollow of his rump into the ground. <laughs> he looked at her angrily and said, What business do you have, girl, leaving me out of my right way? The business is to get you to carry me on your back to my father's house. Who's your father, he asked. <laughs> oh, I am the daughter of Indaic, son of Dodovnan, she said. And she fell upon him again and beat him so hard that the furrow around him filled with the excrement from his belly. <laughs> And she satirised him three times so that he would carry her on, on his back. Mm. He said that it was a gesh for him to carry anyone who was not who could not call him by his name. Well, what's your name? she asked him. Fairbairn, he said. That name is too much, she said. Get up, carry me on your back, Fairbairn. Uh, that is indeed not my name, he said. <laughs> well, what is it? she asked. Oh, it's Fairbairn Brook, he, he answered. Then get up and carry me on your back, fair Ben Brook, she said. That's not my name, he said. What is it, she said. And then he told her, well, we'll save the names. We'll, we'll but I love that bit. Yes, it is. It's, uh, there's so much good stuff in there. I mean, in the description of the Dagda, we did refer earlier to the track of the Dagda's club. And yeah. it talks about this wheeled fork. Now, the word for fork, gavel, is... Yeah. It, it appears in a lot of Irish stories, and indeed it even appears within the Ogham alphabet in the form of Min, the, the mm-hmm. letter standing for N. And <clears throat> it nearly always refers to genitalia, and mm-hmm. more often than not, women's genitalia. Okay. We still talk about it. You still have the same word for crutch and crotch. Mm-hmm. You know, that the fork of a tree is suggestive of a, a woman's mm. parts. So it's interesting that the dad is kind of shown here as having both male and female mm-hmm. genitalia. Um, and that, of course, it's everything is so exaggerated that it's big enough for the boundary ditch of a whole province. <laughs> but yeah. I like the way she leaps on him. I know, and she, she, she basically jumps up and down on him until it allows his belly to go down and then he'll, mm. he'll get his mojo back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it can't be a pretty sight. No, but again, it's, it's almost... It is like this... Another offering of, of hospitality, of sexual hospitality, but she's so aggressive that they think he won't be able to put up with her at all, especially not after he's eaten that massive bowl of porridge. I love the way he just she does it. Okay, you know, you're going to carry on your back. Yeah. Yeah, but I have a guess. I can't carry anyone who can't tell me what my name is. Exactly. And every time she he says, what's your name? Yeah. So and she, she gives, gives him a name. A, he gives her a bit of his name, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah. And then she gives him um, all the names. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether that was would be considered to be lower than low, but I reckon that that's a bit that any audience, any storyteller's audience, would just love and oh, be waiting for. Would. And they would be expecting it. Well, I can't believe that's been added in to no. discredit the story. No, but it also has this, this element where, you know, we've seen the Dagda meet with the Morrigan, his... his you know, proper partner and how they can influence the outcome of a battle. We've seen the Dagda saying that he can move mountains and make legs Mm. disappear. But here we're seeing the Dagda embodying all the good elements of hospitality, of enjoying food and drink and sex. Earthiness. Yeah. Yeah, Food, drink, sex and sleep. Yeah. So Mm. while he's the best of the best, it's not just in terms of the the ideals of nobility, but also in the terms of people's ordinary experience. Mm. And I think also that when these stories were translated 
um, into modern English, mm. you've got to the point where people are going, oh, these are the gods. I know, yes, so we must we have reverence. Oh, you couldn't possibly, a god can't be like that. Yeah. Oh, come on. What about Diarrhea Man in the African? <laughs> no, that was Siberian. Oh, it was Grass Siberian, Woman and Diarrhea Man. Grass yes. Woman and Siberian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are all sorts out there. Yeah. Oh, and even in the Egyptian, when we had the, the sneeze. Oh, the Great Honker. <laughs> yeah, but also the sneeze and the cough. Wasn't foot and, you know... Oh, forget it. This yeah. is another subject. Look, we ought to go through his names. Yes. Because then he starts giving the names, yes. doesn't he? Now, I probably pronounced it all wrong. Now, the names... But the names come out in, like, threes, don't they? The, each name is a poem. Yes. Now, uh, it's written in the text as if, uh, a sort of a line of prose. But it can be analysed as a rusk so mm -hmm. as as a bit of we don't mean a bit of hard bread <laughs> no but as one of these non-syllabic non-rhyming poems that have these short terse lines and this sort of connective alliteration mm. and also this feature where you know the second line will reinterpret the first line and the third line mm. will reinterpret the second line this is the form that the Morrigan speaks her poetry at the very end of all things Oh, I know. I remember trying to uh, put that into modern English. Oh, yeah. That's a toughie. Um, so we've already heard he has told her the truth when uh, he says that he's called Fair Ben and that he's called Fair Ben Bruach. Mm. Um, but there is a, an absolute doubleness. They do take double meanings. Yeah. You could look at Fair Ben Bruach as meaning the man with horns and a big belly. So the original Fair Ben is like the horny man, horny man yes. which is, you know, that's what she's trying to yeah. achieve. She says, get up and carry me on your back, horny, horny man. man. And he goes, no, that's not, not my, my name. name. It probably isn't at that point. Yeah. No, it's, it's, After she's just jumping on him. Yeah. It's Fair Ben Bruach. So it's the horny man with a big belly. And she says, get up and carry me on my back. You big bellied horny Man. Yeah, and he goes, Ah, oh, no, that's not my name. Because you could also understand Fair Ben Bruach as the man of peaks and shores. Yeah, and it's interesting that in the first muster, yes. that that's what happened. The mountains were lowered. Yes. And, the, you know, the shores were, you know, the, the lakes and were And the riverbanks would be hidden. hidden yeah. And it's always like, he, I am the man. I'm the, the holy man with the big belly. Yeah. Or I'm also the man who can, who can change the peaks and shores. Yeah. You know, who has control over mountains and lakes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which means this is double meaning. And after yeah. this, most of them have mm. double meaning. So I think not all. Not all. In, the next one. Not all is... within themselves. <laughs> but what, what we do get, as we'll see immediately, because the next sort of section, line, if you're looking at it as a poem, is Brogel Bruvede, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, Brogel does also mean having a great lap, a capacious lap, mm -hmm. or a great armful, so, you know, mm -hmm. a big heap of something. And then the Brovida bit is a farter. <laughs> and there's nothing else you can do with that. No, no, there's nothing else that you so can get out of that. So we can't find something noble and high-minded and magical about that. No, no, he's just got no dignity, and it, yes. this thing keeps switching from the sublime Ex to the ridiculous. Exactly, yeah. And that's the fun of it. Exactly, and that's that's what gives it the, the this constantly shifting meaning and emphasis. I love it. It's, yeah. the, it's this sort of clowning quality, yeah. but yet it's it's absolutely, it's it's the... I don't know. It's, it's the essence it's of the essence world. Of yeah, magic, yeah. really. Yeah, and and indeed, I mean, he calls himself a farter, and that's something that we have, you know, right up until sort of, if you like, medieval mm. aristocratic. Well, it shows Irish that you were. They had professional farters. <laughs> 
You know, their idea of comedy, I'm sorry to say, was yeah, to have a professional farter and someone who would pretend to have intellectual disabilities. Yeah, I have to say that Bit much basic. as we love this story, yeah. sometimes I think if we'd have been in one of these courts, we'd have probably been horrified. Exactly, exactly. And we'd have go, oh dear, give me Monty Python many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, I think we'd have probably been gone, you know, yeah. this is a bit um Benny Hill, Benny Hill oh. rather than yeah 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 bit more Benny Hill bit less Eddie Izzard yeah yes I do get the inf- impression we're trying to make it sound as though they were all Eddie Izzard and they were no. really Benny Hill yeah exactly exactly uh, and the next line gets even worse doesn't it well this is where we come back to you know doubleness um <laughs> real doubleness within the line because he is Kerford's cack now this- yeah we're sort of like the what, the mountains again? Yeah, cock, well, cock if it's a, a sort of an awe sound, it can refer to the tops, you know, peaks of mountains. And cutting the peaks of the mountains. Yeah, curved is cutting or hewing, but it can also kind of mean sharp. So it could be, the, you know, sort of shaping the peaks of mountains. Yeah. Or it could mean a big pile of poo. It could, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> the cack could be exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Mountain of poo. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that's one where you can take what you want out of that. Sublime and ridiculous at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Then we come to this phrase. Rollock bollock. Rollock bollock, which we've used in in script writing before. Mm -hmm. This has been translated variously. Now, the, the bollock bit is a word that comes up all the time in Irish. Uh, we still use it in modern Irish as a term for stomach or, mm-hmm. or tum, tummy or belly. Um, but its original sense seems to be uh, a bag and most often um, a leather bag as well. Mm. Um, I've just wondered about this yeah. because he's got this cauldron of abundance. Mm. Now, I I was thinking back to cooking bags. Yeah. You know, like I, I was trying to find references to them today, but mm. I, I can't find a direct reference. But as far as I know, that leather was used as a bag which mm. could boil water. The original boil in the bag. Yeah, the original boil in the bag. Yeah. And certainly there are some, you know, I mean, I know um, Aboriginal American, mm. you know, the um, Plains, Indians. Plains Indians did use uh, leather bags. Mm. And I know I've read it somewhere that mm. the, the cooking places. Yeah, the philosophy. You know, there's, it makes me wonder whether there's very little food residue being mm. found in them, which is something that bothers people. But I, I have a pretty good memory of that leather could be used as a bag mm. that would boil water or hold water mm. and that the, it, you could cooking them. Mm. Um, if so, it just gives me this feeling of the cooking bag, mm. but the belly, the bag, and if nothing else, that sheep stomachs are used. Oh, yeah. Or uh, cow stomachs yeah. used to contain food, boil water, bladders yeah. and so forth. And, of course, you've got, you know, the intestinal skins used for making sausages and puddings mm. and haggis, which are very popular at this part of the world. That the cauldron know? of abundance is mm. not ultimate. We, we, when we think of a cauldron of abundance, mm. we all think of the Gunderstrup cauldron, yeah, this wonderfully decorated iron, iron or yeah. bronze cauldron. Yeah. Well, it could mean something like a leather bag. Mm. And that also reminds me of the treasure bag of the Fianna. Mm. Again, the crane string bag. Yeah. You know? So the, the, the rollag bit... The best I can make of that is that it, it refers to the term lag, which means kind of prostrate or mm-hmm. lying down. But it can also have the sense of laying, as in laying the table. Mm. So it's it's a set out, raw lag, very, you know, well set out. Leather uh, bag. Leather bag. And yeah, that that does in terms of the dagger and what he does and, you know, how he's represented. It's the belly again. Yeah. 
and well, the stomach, but it's also, it's the, also the container and the cauldron, yeah. and could be, if you like, a, a form of the cauldron yeah. of abundance, especially when you think of it relating to the Cranesian bag. Yes, absolutely. We should yeah. come on to later. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit, I think, all right? Oh, the next one. Mm. That is really weird. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of those ones where you just have to look at the words and then go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he calls himself Lavret. Kirka de Vrick. Okay. All I, think... I can come up with is the talkative chicken from the hill. <laughs> talkative head from the hill. Yeah. Chatty chickens. Yes. Now, Kirk... Are you absolutely sure there's no other I... word that you could get for Kirka? I, I can't get any more. I did read someone who was suggesting a, you know, proto-Celtic term and all this kind of thing, but I, I don't know enough about that to say. But I quite like, again, with his whole swinging... From you like the chatty chicken. A chatty chicken. It's specifically, again, Kirk is specifically a female bird. Mm. You know, not just a chicken, like a hen, but it could also be, you know, female grouse or goose or whatever, you know, the, the female of bird species. And in a way, to have this kind of labyrinth, which means it can be talkative, but also just noisy... You know, like if you've got a, a noisy, noisy dog. on the hill. Yeah. yeah. And it almost seems to me that there there could almost be like the flip side of the Morrigan who's associated with, you know, the, the screeching of crows, of crows yeah. and so on. And so, he's a chatty chicken. He's a chatty chicken. <laughs> okay, so, let's go on to the next yeah, one. Yeah, let's let I think the next one's on. a little more um, uplifting. Yeah, then we suddenly go into Old Arthur Boy. And this is where Olathur, he's known as Jochad Olathur. The great father. Yeah, yeah. And Jochad being the horseman. But here he's Olathur Boyce. And he really means, again, all is great mm. rather than all necessarily. Mm. So the great father um, of being. Mm. Mm. And, and this is an unusual kind of thing for it's Irish so poetry. Serious, mm. inconsent. You know, it's so big in in context with yeah. the other ones. Yeah, it's it suddenly goes into you know almost Vedic philosophical mm. realms. You know, with being a father, and that's of the being. one that's often got uh, you know the the, the, the um, all knowledge or the mm. red. Yeah, the rough fester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the knowledge or the all father. Mm. Of, you know. Uh, and uh, it's certainly one that's associated with him. Yes, yeah, yeah. But in the middle of all this other stuff. Yeah, in the middle of being a farter and a chatty chicken, he's also... The, and a big pile of poo. And a big pile of poo. He's also the, the great father of being, you know, so... And then you've got you've also got the next one, which yeah. is quite big as well, it isn't is. it? It is. It's Asken Metha Brichthera. And Asken Metha, as has been oft quoted, is the regeneration of the world. And this is the world of, you know, our world, if you mm -hmm. like, you know, of, of the, the everyday, like the globe. So he's the regeneration of the world. But the an important bit here is Breitra, which is dry land, specifically mm -hmm. dry mm -hmm. land. Mm -hmm. The ter bit on the end there is about being I dry. I like that. I mm. mean, this is where we get this, um, oh, you know, sort of seasonal figure mm. who regenerates the earth mm. and everything but it's i think in terms of my tour here it's mm. really interesting because dry land is important yes because the father are always coming from the sea yes yeah and this underland and it's holding the part of the land that we live on mm. against this encroaching encroaching 
the sea, the mm. unknown, mm. the unconscious. It's all of this, mm. that which is not known, that which is other. Yeah. The dry land represents that which we know. Yeah, and that we can hold on to. Yeah, and uh, that's where we live. Mm. And mm. so, again, he's protecting the, the regeneration of the place where we live. Yeah, yeah. Of our world. Mm. Um, so, again, two good ones. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next one's fairly, I think... Well, this is quite a nice one for, for our purposes, if you like. And this is Three Carbid Ruff. And it quite simply means three chariot wheels. Mm. But now, we had, just in the previous description of them, we had this wheeled Wheel fork, fork. You know, which is associated with, is it the fork? Sometimes it's a fork, sometimes it's a club, depending on whether he wants to be mm. male or female. Then it's definitely he, what he carries. Yes, and it's what he brings with him. And you mentioned the ohm letter that it was the connected. ohm letter and then, which um, mm -hmm. is it has the kennings of Bog Ban and Bog Masha, yeah, the we, boast of beauty, boast of women. Which makes sense, really. It's a fork in a tree, and we know what that represents, boys and girls. <laughs> and it also, I think, uh, we mentioned earlier on that he, you know, his club is making the ditches yeah. and the. Uh, uh, the marks in the land. Yes, yeah. Uh, that you know that I think in and around, of course, around the ring forts and mm, all the, mm. uh, uh, all the earthworks. Earth yeah. But around Moitur also, you've got a lot of natural features. Mm. You've got glacial features. You've got drumlins and yeah. lakes, of course. But you've also got a huge number of erratics. Yeah, massive ones like the Egglone Stone. Yeah, really big ones, which is associated with the Dyster. Yes, yeah, and uh, but it's all natural. Yeah, exactly. It's a natural landscape. In fact, mm -hmm. Moitura is a plain of pillars. Yes, uh, and a lot of that are erratic rocks. Erratic. And, of course, there's a lot of megalithic mm. monuments there. So to our ancestors of 2000 or years ago, um, they were looking at a landscape which was full of these kind of massive and quite mysterious... A shaped, made Shapes, landscape. Yeah, and they weren't necessarily sure which had been made by their forebears and which had been made by the world. I mean, we look at some of these things and think, oh, exactly. They do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like if they're not sure whether it was their forebears or if if it was natural forces, then just say it's by the Dagda. Yeah, because he can do all that. Yeah, the chariot know. wheels. I I yeah. think it probably refers to that. Yeah. Now the next one. Now I like the next one. Um, yes, this is where we get Rivra uh, Real Skothva, right? Yeah. Now, Rivra um, is actually in modern Irish the word for computer. Yeah. Um, because it's literally the enumerator or calculator or, yeah. or counter. Okay. Uh, and then we have these two words, Real Skothva. Yeah. Now, there is a phrase which is sometimes Skothriga, mm -hmm. um, which kind of literally means king either king of speech or speech of kings or kingly mm. speech so he looks after the king's computer <laughs> <laughs> sorry but, uh, but what they mean by that you know it's it's the he's in it he's no, in it no 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 Support, no yeah. no it goes back to what we we're saying about the fear of it. Mm -hmm. it's about judgments so he's the enumerator of judgments in this you know he's the one that keeps so it's going, score. going on he's keeping score of the judgments yeah. he's the one who makes the right judgments yes yeah exactly. i'm teasing i, I know like, yeah. yeah look what you do yes the yeah. looks after the king's computer <laughs> and then of course there's one more isn't yes there? and this is where it ends which is a little bit can be a bit curious i always find it difficult to actually get it's a bit of a tongue twist of this one so we have ulfa ulafa Mm -hmm. I like they sound good together. Yeah, Ulfa, these all Ulfa. do, don't they? Of course, it's it's so much of it is about the music and the words, and that that's what encodes it for 
perpetuity. That's it what... might be interesting, you know, if you actually recorded just this, this mm. list of poems as a poem. Yeah, yeah. And maybe added it to the end of the podcast. Yeah. Just just the poem of yeah. the his name. Of his name. Because yeah. it does when you say them all together, you mm. can hear the poetry in it and I think it gives you a feeling yeah. of just how deep and effective, you know, just mm. what is there. Yeah, yeah. I'd only thinking about that while mm. you were just saying the words. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be nice to hear it all together. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, this one. So, um, the um, obta bit, the first element, mm. um, it seems to mean refusal or denial or it's it's kind of standing against something, holding it back, you know, um, sending it away. Um, and asva, uh, the next word is all asva, which means the great. Asva. Asva is the ebbing of the tide. So the refusal of the great ebb. The refusal of the great ebb. So, again, it's this, all this imagery about the water and the land, except in this image, the ebbing of the sea represents the ebbing of prosperity. Actually, um, that reminds me of the crane skin bag. Now, I was thinking we'd come back to that when yeah. we got yo way down the line when we finally get to all the Fenian stories. Yeah. Um, because the crane skin bag is um, a beautiful treasure of the Fenians. Yes. But... Um, here, it almost feels, I was just thinking of that leather bag again, this mm. magic bag, mm. which, if you like, could be another version of the cauldron, yeah. or maybe the cauldron was a magic bag. Yeah. And um, there, the, the crane skin bag would be full of treasures, but when the tide went out, it was empty. Yeah, yeah. So if the tide was in, it the was bag was full. full yeah. If the tide was out, the bag is empty. Yeah. So if you looked at that as being connected, mm. well, if the tide never goes out, the crane skin bag is never Always empty. Full. yeah. So the bag of abundance... Yeah. Is always, it's full always full when if the Dagda's there. When the Dagda's there. Because he holds back the ebbing of the so tide. So here you've got this big fat man with a magic bag. Now, why does that sound familiar? <laughs> a bag which will hold whatever you desire. And he's made a good judgment so he knows who's been good and who's been naughty. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dear okay. Dagda, what I'd want for Christmas is a dolly and a castle with pointy bits and a sword. <laughs> That's the hog father. <laughs> oh, oh, how different that is. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but yep. the story's not over, is no, it? No, it isn't. Because once he has told uh, Indeix's daughter, who, who isn't given her own name, she's often just Indingan, the girl, mm. um, once he has told her his whole name, which he seems to have to tell her on the third go, mm -hmm. uh, and she, there is this reference to that she satirised him three times. Yeah, well, it's part of the three times. Yeah, it's you know, asking, by the asking third time, again. If you ask three times, yeah. you have to have the truth. Exactly. Or going round something three times, yeah. you have to, you know, you it, bind them. There's yeah. all sorts of folk tales mm. in which when you do something three times... Mm. Uh, you know, th three times is a charm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and so once she knows his name, she can get him to carry her on his back. And of course, as soon as she does this, um, she's obviously not wearing any underwear. Oh, I'll read the rest, shall I? <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right, okay. Do not mock me any more, girl. He said. It will certainly be hard. She said. <laughs> She's so sharp, she'll cut herself. <laughs> then he moved out of the hole, and after letting go the contents of his belly, and the girl had waited a long time for that, <laughs> she got up then and took the girl on his back, and he put three stones in his belt. <laughs> Each stone fell from it in turn, and it has been said they were his testicles that fell from it. <laughs> the girl jumped on him and struck him across the rump, and her curly pubic hair was revealed. Then the dagger gained a mistress, and they made love. 
The mark remains at Belstraw Strand, where they came together. Then the girl said to him, You'll not go to the battle by any means. Oh, certainly I'll go, said the Dagda. You will not go, said the girl, because I will be a stone at the mouth of every forge you cross. Uh, that will be true, said the Dagda, but you will not keep me from it, because I will tread heavily on every stone, and the trace of my heel will remain on that stone forever. Well, that will be true, but they'll be turned over, so you may not see them. You will not go past me until I summon the sons of Tetra from the from the she-mounds, because I will be a giant oak in every ford, and in every pass you cross. Well, I will indeed go past, said the Dagda, and the mark of my axe will remain on every oak forever. And people have remarked on the mark of the Dagda's axe. Then, however, she said, Allow the Fomora to enter our land, because the men of Ireland will come together in one place. And she said that she would hinder the Fomora, and she would sing spells against them, and she would practice the deadly art of the wand against them, and that she alone would take on the ninth part of the host. So this is... Oh, there's so much to say about this passage. Um, again, once she has succeeded in getting his name... Then they become lovers. It, yeah. But then they still have to have this, have this battle of the magicians. Yeah. yeah. The magical, I'll be a stone. Well, I'll mark that stone. Yeah, but I'll turn over the stones and then I'll be an oak. Yes, but I'll mark that oak. oak yeah. You know. And it's this wonderful battle of wits. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's a playful version of the old battle of magicians, you know, like mm. that, uh, the Cold Black The Cold Black Smith. Yeah, we'll have to put up a link to the Steel Ice Band version. Of that well, there's lots great of different song. versions. Yeah. But that, uh, you know. And it's very much in the same uh, vein as the story of Gwion and Caridwen. Yes, yeah, where again, one is pursuing the other and they keep on having to change shape and eventually he turns into... You do this, into... I'll do that. Exactly. It's a giant game of paper rocks, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah, yeah. But you can never undo what the other person has said. Every time one of them makes a statement, the other one has to say, Bafirsome, that will be true. True, but... but... Yeah. No, I really like it. Yeah. So uh, basically, she's going to be a stone in its path. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a footstep on the stone. Yeah. She's going to turn the stones over, but he will, you know. And then she'll be an oak. And then she'll be an oak. But he's going to hit, gonna hit them all axe. with his axe. Yes. And then she suddenly turns completely around and yeah. said, yeah, okay. And she, she'll fight a ninth part of her father's people. She's going to be on his side. Mm. Now, this whole episode and particularly that exchange you know of, of the rock and the paper and the scissors and the oak tree and the axe um is almost identical in form to a passage from the time mm -hmm. that we've looked at before when we were talking about the morrigan in in mm. uh, mythical women episode six and in the time we have almost exactly the same exchange between the morrigan and cuchulain yeah, it's again at the start of a battle. It is, and it's to do with blocking the passage of Cúchulain by mm. being a hindrance. But she once force. again offers herself to him. Mm. Now, I mean, in the same way that Indeck's daughter, yeah, um, offers herself to the Dagda, yeah. although she has to push him to a really camber form. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way. Finally, she. Yeah, you know, she jumps on his belly till finally he loses the contents of his belly. And she says, "Oh, for goodness sake, I've been waiting yeah. for that for a really long time." That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Now maybe you can actually yeah. perform. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But in the time, he's got more than Brewer's Droop, isn't he? <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so. Uh, it in the toy, anyway, Cuchulain doesn't accept the Morrigan's offer. No, the moment she comes to him and offers him to uh, sleep with him, he mm -hmm. goes, what time have I for the whiteness of women's rump or yeah. something like Buttocks, that? Yeah, buttocks, yeah. Yeah, but 
in, so instead of winning this battle of wits in order to actually, you know, gain an ally through her. sexual alliance, yeah, he, he hits her three times and wounds her and says, you won't recover from those wounds unless I do it. Yeah, and she has to trick him with the milk of a cow. He brings her brings a cow yeah. with three teats and he has to drink from the three teats. Which and gives her a blessing which, for each of which, which cures her. Yeah. But I mean, he it's still the same offer is mm. made to Colin mm. and he rejects it. And of course, and of course what, the whole story is a tragedy. Of course it is. But what it does suggest as well, we did note how in when the doctor met with the Morrigan in, and, and, you know, got her contribution to the battle, that she was just called the woman. In and this passage, just called the girl. it's just the girl. So in a way, it feels like it's another telling of the same events. It's almost like when you stand on this side, you see... Uh, a mature couple who come together as arranged and agreed and can And this is perform. a bawdy version of the yeah. same thing. And wouldn't the audiences have loved it? Oh, of course they it's would. It's a great story. Yeah. So it's almost like seeing the same events from a different perspective. Mm. So but maybe here, the daughter is... And yet there he guys. was, uh, you know, the Dagda going to the Morrigan mm. as, if you like, the Druid as the two... The, the druid and the magician yeah the, 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 and the, the poet the poet rather yeah. why did I say that sorry it was uh, the druid and the poet who mm. are, are forms of the same the worker mm. of words yeah the yeah. workers of words mm. and here it's a much more bawdy way of telling here he's a, a clown yeah um, what's that lovely Irish Bachlach. yeah I love yeah. that word always a peasant and I'm exactly yeah he's a benign peasant trickster yeah. here now again what might have added to this these ideas of, of the Dagda being a giant, mm -hmm. is that the modern word, the modern Irish word for a giant is thahuk. Mm. But that comes from the word athic, which is an old Irish word for a peasant. Mm. So again, in this episode, he is playing his peasant part. Mm -hmm. And it is so simple that, you know, it just went from athic to fahak. Well, he's always big. Yeah, but it's more like he's, he's larger massive, than life. Larger than life. You know, yeah. he's not a, he's not a, you know, 20 foot tall giant, you know, or an ogre or, or no, any of those kind of fairy tales. No, I mean, characters. when you get to, uh, not an equivalent, but mm. sometimes, you know, the Welsh Bran, mm. Bran the Blessed, yeah. he actually is described as being so big that no room could hold him. Mm. And when he goes to Ireland, no boat will hold him. Yeah. So he has to wade. And the, the Irish who see this think that it's a mountain moving towards them. There's nothing like this with the doctor no, at all. No. He's, he's just a larger than life. Yeah. He can do extraordinary things, you know, but that's because he's the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think he's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I love this image, you know, this yeah. sort of... But anyway, let's get yeah. on. Second muster. Yes. We finally now get to the bit where Lou formally asks all and of his experts. it's clearly Lou this time. Exactly. No doubt about it. And it states it every single time. Then every Lou bit. said, what yeah. will you do for the battle? You yeah. know, effectively. So, Which doesn't happen the first time. No, there isn't that kind of formal questioning and answering. And it's Lou more is like not hard to say this one. Yeah, this is all the answer. It's not hard to say. But yeah. the dad is there. If he he's is, the last again. to speak, isn't he? He is the last to speak, just as he was the last to speak in the Amrun, in the first mustering, mm. even though what he says is of a different character. He doesn't say he's going to do it all himself. No, what he again? It's more like a kind of a, a, a bit of a martial boast, you know, the boasting mm. of a warrior. He says, "Oh, the fragments of the bones of the enemy under my club will be as many as the fragments of ice under the hooves of herds of horses." Mm. You know, it's a but he doesn't actually make good yes, on that. He doesn't do anything in the no. final battle. I mean, at least he's not. Nothing is spoken yeah, about. Yeah. Um, it's almost like his part of the battle is done in yeah. the story. Uh, you know, his yeah. track. We said at the beginning he has a separate track, mm. and sometimes he's brought into the mainstream. Yeah, but it's almost like his story. If you follow. 
follow mm. the story of the Dagda through mm. my Torah, mm. you get a wonderful, funny, mm. uh, meaningful, but very magical story. Yeah. But and it gets the same end. Mm. Mm. But it exactly. is a different story. It, it is, is. It's a different way of working. Yeah. He has fought the battle by you know infiltrating the Fomorian camp, getting the the king's daughter on their side, getting the Morrigan to make her contribution mm. um, as his equal partner. So. Now, there was one thing I th I'm just remembering. There was one other interesting bit from that, uh, just one of those little nuggets mm. from the second master. Oh, yes. About the witches. Yeah. Now, again... On names. Yeah, it's great. Well, um, this is where uh, we've talked about how there is the sense of repetition. Just as we've just said that the story of the Dagdewitz Index daughter is almost like another telling mm -hmm. of his meeting with the Morrigan. And this second muster with Lou asking the questions formally is like a rep repetition of the first Amrun, but with yeah. a slightly different character. But we do get some repetition, particularly when he's asking the Druid, druid mm. or the Korokonok, which is the mm. sorcerer. And in this, he addresses the barn Tuathid. Oh, yeah, the first one. Remember when you get the cupbearers who yes. make the lakes disappear? Yeah. In the second one, they just make everybody thirsty. Exactly. It's yeah. more kind human. of human. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's about how the smiths will make weapons and uh, all the rest of it. You know, what they'll do. You lose all those fantastical things like the lowering of mountains. Well, you the... do, but there is still an echo of them because he still asks, you know, the Drury yeah. and the Korokonok. And this is where he asks the barn Tuathid. Let's go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So the barn Tuathid, which is you know sort of translated as witch but it kind of means it could mean women of the people or left-handed women you know yeah. um yeah so witches is probably not yeah but they, i mean what they talk about is enchantment but they're named as donan <laughs> which is the only time we ever hear of a character called donu or donan Literally who actually does time. anything and bechile bechile is quite nice it could mean you know woman of hazel but there is actually a phrase, ban chula, which means courtesan, prostitute. Interesting. Yeah. Donna and the prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an awful detective series. <laughs> and they do something really weird. Oh, yeah, Because great. suddenly here are witches yeah. enchanting trees to mm. come and attack the enemy. Yeah, the trees and the sods of the earth So and here the they stones. are, Burnham Wood has come to Dunsinane. Yeah, yeah. I just wondered in passing whether somewhere along the line that might have been the origin of the yeah. Burnham Wooders, you know, the, the, the enchanting of the tree. The witches make yes. the trees come to come to attack the enemy. Yeah. I just find, I, mean, I know nice there's one. a really literal reason why they do, but nevertheless, it was that, yeah, that, that feeling. That little sense, yeah. Just in passing. Yep. Now, as I said, the, the, the Dagda doesn't have a role in the battle. It doesn't mm. have a story. It's almost like the meeting with Index's daughter. He's already played out this function. Yeah. He's a, he's, he's a battle of words. Do you know who he reminds me of at times? He reminds me of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yes. You who know? some people love and some people hate. Oh, I've always From liked Lord Tom of the Rings. Bombadil. Yes. You know, and that, uh, you know, when, when they go to Tom Bombadil, he has always been there. He was there before anyone arrived. He was there when the first tree was planted. Yeah. He'll be there when, when the last tree dies. Yeah. And uh, the rest of the characters, the elves, the hobbits, they, they live out their lives mm, on a long term or go. short term. Yeah. But he's always there. Yeah. And uh, But he, he, again, is part of the, the, the cycle. But his war is different. Mm. You remember, the ring has no dominion over him. Mm. So he's always there, active. And another thing that always reminds me, the generosity oh, of the yeah. character. 
and the hospitality. And the hospitality, which are two words which are absolutely associated with Tom Bombadil yeah, and, and the, the doctor. doctor. Yeah. It just reminds me, I have no idea yeah. whether Tolkien ever read it because being a, a linguist, yeah, yeah. he wouldn't have credited it because he wouldn't have been, I don't think he would have read it in the original in Irish. In Old yeah. Irish, so he probably wouldn't have credited it. Mm. But I just wonder. Yeah, was it there? And even Tom Bombadil's partner, Gilberry, is the river daughter. Yes, and he meets her down by the river yeah. as he meets... As the um, doctor meets tomorrow. No, that's just that's, in passing. It's yeah, just that's fanciful speculation. It's just nice. It just it came into my head. Yeah. It's, a, it's the character type. Yeah, I, it's just for fun. Mm. It's better than actually Father Ted coming into your head, really. <laughs> now, there is one more episode in the saga to which the doctor is central. And uh, that has to do with the recovery of his harper and his harp. And I think it's a short enough piece, so maybe we can just read through Gray's translation for this bit. Yeah, and it, oddly enough, it starts with that same piece as when they went to see the Morrigan, that it's yes. Lou and the Dagna and, and Ogma. Ogma going after the Fomora. Mm -hmm. And again, if you do that bit about, well, if Ogma and Dagda are the same, mm. and if Lou is being added to the story because he has to be there, mm. then it's the Dagda going looking for his harp. Yes. And that's really what happens. Mm. There was the harp on the wall. That is the harp which the Dagda had bound the melodies so that they did not make a sound until he summoned them, saying, Tar dar dal blau. Come oak of two meadows. Tar kor kethakur. Come ripeness of four angles. Tar sav, tar gal. Come summer, come winter. Beola krut is bolgis Mouth of harps and bags and pipes. Yes. It's nice, isn't Love it? it? And as that's almost like what calls his harp to mm. them and loosens, loosens the melodies again. Exactly, and he, he's calling its proper name. Then the harp came away from the wall, and it killed nine men and came to the Dagda, and he played for them the three things by which a harper is known, sleep music, joyful music, and sorrowful music. He played sorrowful music, music for them so that they, their tearful women wept. He played joyful music for them so that their women and boys laughed. He played sleep music for them so that host, so the host slept. So the three of them escaped from them unharmed. Now, uh, there's one more bit which we'll come to in a minute, but I just yes. want to go through that bit. Mm. Um, the, the, the harp, it, is he supposed to be that which, um, there's somewhere I've read that it is, he played the seasons, he played summer and winter. Mm, well, he played. It's the res restoration of order, isn't it, again? It is, and there's all, it's also worth noting that um, it starts saying that they go to rescue his harpist. But then it's but the it, harp. It's, he's the one who actually ends up playing the harp. And the name they give to his harpist is Uithna, mm -hmm. which is one of my colour words. And it's a colour word that refers to the green of growing things. Mm. So, you know, the green of plants and trees and, you know, of natural life coming back. So it is the restoration of, of growth, of growth yes. isn't it? That once he has his heart back, yes. you can start to restore this after this time of non-being when yeah. the battle takes place. Yeah. You're starting to get the restoration of the normal yeah, again. Yeah, you're setting time in motion again. Which, of course, what happens when they ask um, Bresh for what saves him. Yes. It's the restoring of the natural order. Yes, exactly. Not some fanciful, wonderful, magical order, but the real, true order. Yes, and uh, the three, of course, the three tunes that he plays yeah. turn up now and again. They do. And again, uh, just like the Welsh, we love our triads, although mm -hmm. we do have heptads and all the rest of it as well. Um, and so this is the categorization of music into 
into a three of the joyful and the sorrowful and the sleeping music. Um, it's also worth pointing out that uh, harp harpists, harp players, um, do have a more elevated status in old Irish society than other musicians. Mm -hmm. Other musicians are counted as pretty, you know, low, unfree, essentially, people. Mm -hmm. But harpists can be free and they can, you know, get up that ladder a bit. So harp music is particularly important. And the Dagda's harp is so important that it's actually on the presidential seal of Ireland. Mm -hmm. That golden harp on a, it was originally a blue, or sorry, a green background was the idea that it had these nine silver strings on a golden harp that was in the meadowland and that was the Dagda's harp. Dagda's harp, Very yeah. specifically, that was designed. Restoring of order. It was designed as the flag for Ireland. Mm. The, the, it's, it's a really lovely image mm. and again, the, the, I was just thinking, I know that these happy music and the sad music mm. and the sorrow of sleepy music turn up, I mean, in, with Island of the Sheer. Oh yes, yeah, the, with, the with, sleepy music. Does. With Fionn. Yeah. All everybody's put together, put mm. together, put to sleep mm. by the sleepy music. Again, uh, uh, Grania yes. plays the sleepy music, which yes. puts everyone to sleep. So it's used as uh, a way of getting out. It's a folk motif that gets people out of trouble. Yes, yeah. It's more often used than the the joyful and, and the weeping. Yeah. Hopefully, you will remember right back at the beginning when we were talking about the instant. Oh, between... the ding, 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 ding. Bit. Yes, this bit is important. Remember ding, ding, this ding, ding, bit. Ding, ding. Where um, Oingus gives the Dagda the recommendation that as payment and recompense for his work for Bresh, he should ask for this particular black, high-spirited heifer. Mm -hmm. And this is the Glasgowan, or mm -hmm. Glasgowlin. And um, again, although she, the heifer in this story is called black, the gloss there has to do with the colour of the sea. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, when we talked about the stories of the birth of Lou and so on, um, the glass gown was involved in that as well. That's right. She gets stolen by Balos. So yes. really, in this story, she has already been taken away. Yeah, the dad it's a has... constant story yeah. of the glass gown being removed from the natural order of things. Yes, yeah. And the Dagda has kept her safe through all this. So once they have gone and got the Dagda's heart back, which is almost like an excuse to go to the Fomorian camp, mm -hmm. he happens to have this black heifer with him. So I don't know whether you could just read that section oh, yes, quickly from uh, the text. <clears throat> he takes the cow with him. Mm. The Dagda brought with him the cattle taken by the Fomora through the lowing of the heifer, which had been given him for his work, because when he called her calf, all the cattle of Ireland, which the Fomora had, had taken of their tribute, began to graze. And it, it's interesting, really, that it's not that the cattle aren't there, the cattle begin to graze. Yes, so it's almost like the, the cycle of production has started up again. Mm. And the milk is back and everything yeah. is flowing mm. and prosperity is back. Yes. So it is the playing of the harp. Mm. And then the calling the, of the cow. Yeah. Now, the cow was lost and stolen, mm. but through Ungus he gets it back. Yes. But it isn't actually activated until, until the end of the story. Until they've managed to put things back in, or they're starting to put things back in their place mm. after this chaos time. And the one th other thing that actually isn't mentioned in this, this particular story, but follows straight on, of course, is the Morrigan. Yes. Who she then sings the song, which is like, um, you had the her singing the Declaration of War. Mm. Now she sings the Declaration 
declaration of peace. Yes, that that immediately <clears throat> follows from this. And uh, I almost get this sense with the playing of the three strains of music that it's followed by these two poems of the Morrigan, one which is about sorrow and chaos and destruction and the other which is about peace mm. and joy and mm. happiness. Well, again, she starts to say, she sings the, the, the Declaration of Peace, mm. which we will, I know, will go into. Oh, yes. And if you want, we, we did... We did talk about it in, in the episode six of Encountering Morrigan. And it was actually Morgan. was the, the it's, it stood as the story yes. at the start of that was um, Isolde's translation of the, the Shigonier. Uh, yeah. And then I put an English version yes. together. So that was the Morrigan's declaration of peace. Yes. But again, she follows it with the other side. It's yes. like, this won't last forever. Mm. This cycle will... It'll you repeat. Know, you know, no matter how you try and establish peace and order... It will There's break always down. a danger it'll break down and you're going to have to do all this again. Yeah. It's a constant process of maintaining order. Mm, mm. I, mean, I like the idea that they, they, they work together, the yes. two of them, as the couple. Mm. Then at the end, they sing the piece. Yes. But in that piece is a warning mm. that you can't just take it for granted. Yeah. It has to be maintained. Mm. So it's almost like you get the dad to gives the backing music mm. for the Morrigan's songs. And so they sing the peaceful song and everyone is laughing. And, and the cows start to graze and produce milk again. Yes. And then they sing the sorrowful piece. And uh, it gives it a reminder brings, that, yeah. uh, that it has to be maintained. Mm. You can't take it for granted. Yeah. And when we come to talk about the themes in Moitura, mm. I think that's going to be one of the themes, it is, isn't it? It is. But then the Dagda plays the sleeping music and puts everyone to sleep and dreaming. And it's and we had this whole thing with the Morrigan, uh, the declaration of battle and awakening. Mm, and now it's sleep. Now it's time to sleep. And when you wake up, everything the world will be, okay. will be back as, as you it knew was. it. It was a bit like you know that was we we played out this story mm. of chaos. Mm. Now you can wake up to peace. Yeah. But remember what happened mm. because it can happen at any time. Mm. Yeah, and it struck me when I was writing about Nuoda the other day as we we're preparing to put out the first of the Moitura uh, um, uh, pieces, yes. Moitura episodes, mm. and I promised I would write a piece about the Fisher King mm. and Nuoda as the Fisher King. Yeah. But while I was writing about this, I was struck not so much that Nuoda was the Fisher King, but that in fact, much as I didn't particularly want to do it, <laughs> see it, but in fact we've got the whole story of the wasteland. Yes. You can actually play the whole story, not oddly enough with Nuoda particularly mm -hmm. but the Dagda is much stronger if you think about the wounded king has to step down yeah. down I suppose here we have Nuada as a wounded king yes. though there are an awful lot of things that aren't exactly but it's connected it's the story is in there even if the characters yeah. are playing different yeah, he's roles. wounded in the mm. arm not the foot yeah but you know yes you can connect him with mm. fishing and hunting yeah uh, there's no doubt about that anyway he has to step down allowing an incompetent judge to take kingship mm. and that's really what creates the wasteland, the wasteland. exactly that is. an incompetent judge mm. and the poor judgment of the tonister mm. uh, who is a straw man yeah who's been know, set up in he that is position absolutely set up yeah. but only if this straw man steps down can the land be healed mm. and it's you know it, it, it it's angus who gives advice mm. that will get rid of brush and restore the the land mm. so there's no grail knight involved as it were yeah. there is a question of possibly the grail question yes is the true or false judgment mm. you can see that yeah but the actual restoration is not the grail or the bleeding lance. Mm. It's a cow. Yes. It's yes. a cow. You know? 
Well, again, that's that's the vessel that doesn't run dry. The vessel that doesn't run dry. Yeah. Restore of prosperity. Yeah. Now, there is a story in the Welsh, which actually isn't the Peridor story, but there's a story of Owen, um, Slady the Fountain. Mm. And how there's a land where there used to be all the wells, and mm. each well was accompanied by a, a, a young woman, and each woman had a golden cup. Yeah. And then the knights, and and while the the women gave water freely from yes. the golden cups, and the land was green and growing. And mm. then the knights come along, the knight come or knights come along, and they steal, they rape the girls, and they steal the cups, and mm. the land becomes a wasteland. Mm. And it's not until what is it? Um, not until the laughter of the water of the wells yeah. is heard again in the land. Yeah. Then the land will stop being a wasteland. Yeah. But somehow I keep feeling this Gus Gowan. Mm. It's nice to have the idea of um, a cow being a holy grail. A cow-shaped grail. Cow-shaped grail. Yes. <laughs> we don't have a cow-shaped beacon, and we don't have a grail-shaped beacon, but we do have a cow-shaped grail. Yes. <laughs> and, of course, only the Dagda can do this, because yeah. he's the grail-keeper. Yeah, he's, he's the no one. wounded king, but no. he is the grail-keeper. He has the cauldron, which yes, know, the magic bag. everyone. He yeah. has his belly. Yeah. All symbols of prosperity, the yeah. magic bag, the belly, and the cow. Yes. And the cow has a bag full of prosperity. Yes. Full of milk. <laughs> And uh, it's not only that the Dagda has the glass cow and there's other stories, such as we were talking about in the Pine earlier, where the Morrigan has the cow. That's you know? true. So and even in the story of Othrus, where she steals Buchard's cows away so that they can be covered by her they great They do bull. come across as a couple who own prosperity. They are the ones who keep the land prosperous, yes. but remind us that mm. it's a cycle. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that the cow will not always be in milk. Yeah, but you can't, and she can't, they can't do it with that, the prophetic validation mm. of Morrigan, who, we will say it together, is not, not a goddess a, of, of war. war. <laughs> no, quite the opposite. Yeah. And uh, it, you see this in Moitura keep being repeated. You know, in the, the folktale, Balor mm. steals the Glasgowan mm. as Bresh, just about the time Bresh gets to be king. Yes. Lose birth is another version about reclaiming the, the cow yeah. from the Fomora. Mm. So what we can say is, I suppose, holy cow, holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> and the Dagda, well, he's a sort of all-round good guy. All-round and good and good. <laughs> so that's our take on I think the Dagda story who of the Dagda. we probably show we quite like yeah always and next time we'll be looking at um, the four craftsmen yeah and we've got uh, let me see in that we've got some very interesting stuff including a well 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 a very well 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks for listening thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>